0: to Wendell's world in sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. Since Jesus wouldn't I heard the word on the street is I'm still one of the deepest on the mic since Adidas. They said I changed the times from the rhymes that I Oh, thought. it's been a long time. It's been a long time. I shouldn't have kept you without a strong podcast to step to. Think of how many weak podcasts you slept through. Well, time's up. I'm sorry I kept you. Wendell's world of sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today. In the world of sports, Shalom Wassalam Lake my brothers and sisters, Konishi Wa State. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa mi amigos? Me, i Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour. Bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today. Um, Took some time off. Took a week off. Only because I need to get myself back into some type of physical shape in terms of losing some weight. So for the past week, I dedicated myself to starting my Exercising and Living Right program, which which means I'm drinking a whole lot of water, drinking a whole lot of green drinks, laying off the soda, laying off the fast food, laying off the bad food, laying off the midnight snacks, laying off the uh, binge eating, laying off all those things. And because of that, I uh, really didn't have the time or the focus to uh, do a podcast over the past, I don't know, when was the last time we did a podcast? Last week sometime? Normally, I try to do two a week. But uh, in this situation, now, nah, man, I just wanted to uh, go ahead. Get the, uh, get the ball rolling. I'm one of these guys, man, where for me to continue to do something, especially when we're speaking about some exercises, when we're speaking about changing my dietary habits in terms of those things, I've got to get the thing rolling. I, I got to just kind of concentrate on that for a couple of days and make it become part of my routine, make it become part of my everyday. And then at least for the next six, eight 12 weeks, 16 weeks until something else in my life throws a wrench where I go back to my old habits. I'm pretty dedicated. I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty disciplined in my routine to continue what I'm doing. So I guess it started on Monday, this past Monday or or Monday before and I just started to say, Hey man, you know what? No more sodas, which is extremely difficult. No more fries three to four times a week, which is extremely difficult. No more burgers, which is extremely difficult. Um, no more ice cream, pistachio almond ice cream, which is extremely difficult. No chips at 10, 11 o'clock at night, which is extremely difficult. No cakes, no brownies, no late night pizzas, no, none of that stuff, which I've been doing on a pretty consistent basis for the last, um, I would say about four months now. So I said enough is enough. It got bad because, you know, out here in Clark County, people are, the kids are back in school. Teachers, substitutes like myself, have to go back into the classroom, so for the first time in almost a year, or even over a year, I had to put on, like, pants. I had to put on, like, a collared shirt, and for the past year, when you're sitting around and you're doing nothing, and for the most part, you've been just a lazy, pathetic loser like I've been in terms of the dedication to uh, keep myself in any type of decent physical shape. And you're sitting around all day, you're not doing any type of moving, you're not doing any type of exercising, you don't give a damn what you're eating, you're eating fast food, not just three to four or five days a week, but also two to three times a day, I would go ahead to, uh <clears throat> I would go to Del Taco and get myself a number four, I would go to Sonic and get myself a large number two with the uh, Oreo cookie dough blast. I would go to uh, McDonald's and get myself two double cheeseburgers. I would go to uh, Carl's Jr. and order me a number two large with a Coke. I would be doing all of these things on a consistent basis. And, um, you know, when you're just living that lifestyle, and you're just being a bum, and you're being lazy, and you have all the... um, I would say the excuses in front of you of why you can't go to the gym, why you can't eat right, why you can't use your juice blender, why you can't make a salad, why you can't fast for 24 hours, why you can't get more liquids in terms of water in your body. When you have all of these excuses because I'm not working and I'm worried about unemployment and I'm worried about when I'm going to be going back to work and I'm just being lazy and all these type of things, which I put in front of me and said, yeah, that's an excuse for me to uh, basically live like a bum, like a loser bum then when i went ahead and that first time where i put my excuse me when i tried to put my pants on to get back to school man it was just like uh, uh, i ooh, it was it was terrible <clears throat> it was horrible <clears throat> and i was just like man you tried all on all the shirts that you know only six months ago you're fitting no problem this that yeah, easy now none of my shirts are um, fitting for me. You know, you see my belly because the shirt is up and, you know, it's too small for me and all those type of things. So, you know, I just notice these deals. I noticed the fact that I couldn't stand up for more than five minutes without my lower back hurting and my hips hurting. I you know, Going to the food store, walking around in the food store in about five minutes, my knees are hurting, my lower back is hurting. I'm not talking about any type of exercise. I'm not talking about running and jumping. I'm not talking about getting my cardio and anything like that. I'm just talking about normal everyday things. The fact that when I was stand up for more than five minutes, my right leg would start to become numb. And I'm thinking to myself, whoa, chief. <clears throat> whoa, man, this is this is some goddamn serious shit, so it just got to the point where it's kind of like, you know what, <clears throat> it's going to take a while, <clears throat> I'm not going to be doing this to, uh, you know, walk down on the beach with my shirt off and all, have all the 38 and 42 year olds look at me and go, ooh, and I'm not doing any of that bullshit, none of the vanity stuff, I'm not trying to get myself in shape so I can, you know, woo anybody or, you know, have sex with anybody or have people oogle and ogle and all that kind of nonsense, No. <clears throat> I'm doing this I'm getting back into shape <clears throat> I'm gonna get back into uh, a healthy lifestyle <clears throat> just for the fact that I want to be able to uh, put on my pants again and not feel uncomfortable for the entire day when I wear these pants and I go to work I'm extremely uncomfortable you know why because the my belly is caught on my belt buckle and every time I move my belt buckle and my belly the, the skin the flesh, Oh my on my belt my my belly and it hurts. So <clears throat> I'm up here every 15 20 seconds adjusting my belt and my pants because um because of the uh, pain that it's causing me. I can't sit down in my car because my belly protrudes over my um over my belly <clears throat> over my belt buckle and um it hurts and it's painful. So I was like, yeah, man, wake up call the um the sore knees, the Sore back, the numbness in my right leg, all of those things. that was like, man, this, it's time for you to uh, start getting serious again. So five days a week, I'm walking three to four miles a day. And that's all I can do right now is just walk, walking up a hill. But um, that's my main thing, just starting that very, 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 very basic and uh really changing my diet I'm only eating once a day I'm multiple times a day getting my 20 ounces of green juice with my Jack LaLanne juicer so I've got my cabbage I got my dandelions I got my spinach I got my kale I got my broccoli I got my tomatoes I got my apples I got all the things I got my um my garlic a couple of cloves get in there and the taste is terrible the taste is horrible, but. uh Something that I got to do, man. It's something that I got to do. This is something that's not going to uh, turn around overnight. This is something that I am got to uh, be diligent on, be disciplined on. And, uh, you know, I made this mess. I have no one to blame but myself. So uh, I created this shape. I created the uh, type of shape that I'm in. So I have something to do about it. I can have something to do about it turning, turning it in the other direction. But... Uh, So that has been the main reason why I haven't done a podcast in about a week. Been on a good groove, been drinking a boatload of water, drinking a boatload of green drinks. The fact that, oh boy, when you get that craving to have a soda and you know and you're fighting, mentally fighting, that you can't have it. You can't stop by 7 Eleven and get yourself a big gulp, which I used to do all the time. All the time. Big gulp time, you know, my mixture of Dr. Pepper and Coke. Sixteen ounces of Dr. Pepper, sixteen ounces of Coke. Ooh, that shit tasted good. You have that with uh, some chips. You have that with some Funyuns. You have that uh, with um, with something like that. That was my go-to thing every night. Every night, late night. That was my deal. Get myself that big thirty-two ounce of Coke and, and Dr. Pepper mix. Had sit down with a bag of chips, a bag of Funyuns, a bag of uh, Doritos. And uh, I was in heaven, did that for months and months and months, and well, I'm paying the price for it now, so i uh, that's where I've been, mindset, discipline, that's what I've been doing, so yeah, we'll see what happens, we will see what happens, making some progress, feeling better, but I've got a long, 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 long way to go, so we'll see what happens. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us Um, A lot of things I'd get into today in the world of sports. I'm going to leave the uh, football alone. I'm going to leave the um, NFL draft alone. I'm going to leave Deshaun Watson alone. I'm going to leave what's going on with Russell Wilson alone. I'm going to leave, you know, what's happening with the number three pick, whether the San Francisco 49ers are going to draft. Matt Jones or Justin Fields, I am going to leave that alone. I think in my last couple of podcasts, you've uh, known my feelings about Justin Fields. You've known my feelings about Matt Jones. You've known my feelings about the 49ers entertaining the thought of selecting Matt Jones with the number three pick. I think over my last couple of podcasts, you've heard my thoughts and opinions about Deshaun Watson. Um, Those things I can talk about later on in the future, if anything substantial comes up. So, uh, for the most part, for at least for this podcast, I'm going to uh, take a break from the NFL. Really not too much going on. Rumor and innuendo concerning, you know, different things. Good talking points. The Penny Sewell, the offensive tackle for Oregon, he's falling. Why? And there's a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, people can uh, fabricate. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that people can uh, formulate, draw some uh, storylines and thoughts and opinions and things to talk about, but for the most part, not not this week, not this week. The only thing that I'm going to be speaking about NFL-wise, and I'm going to start the podcast with this is then, is, um, you know, it's, it sucks sometimes when you, you know that for the rest of your life, things will never be the same. You know, for people who are my age, we, we can't go back physically to the way we were in our early 20s or our mid-20s or our late 20s. We're, we're not going to look as good. We're not going to feel as good. We're not going to be able athletically to do the things that we could do. We're not going to be able to that, to have that feeling of the everyday of when you're young and you're relatively strong and you can do some things. Mentally, I never, ever, 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 ever want to go back to my 20s and my 30s. Never do whatever I I'm, want I'm, to. Th- thank you, Jesus, that I actually survived the asinine and stupid things that I did in my 20s to still be here in my early 50s. So I don't want to go back mentally to that point. But physically, man, boy, you sure wish that you could uh, go back and do some of the things that you used to be able to do back back in the day. Well, when that's gone and you know that uh, it's never going to happen again, sometimes you feel a little melancholy. Sometimes you I feel a little bit down. Well, when I heard the news, the horrible news concerning my Washington football team, I knew right there it was a sentence of life without parole. I knew it was a situation where the Washington football team, for the rest of my life, will never be relevant, will never have the talent or direction to be A true elite football franchise. I don't know how long I've got on this earth. You don't know how long you've got on this earth. Hell, we might only have a couple of more hours to live. We don't know. A couple of more hours, a couple of more decades. I don't know. I'm looking to maybe max out if everything goes correctly, if everything goes great, if I got another... 28 to 35 years left in me hey i'll take it i'll take whatever the lord gives me but uh if he says you know what try to do the right thing for the most part you can make it for it i'll make sure that you live another 30 years i'll be like cool lord thank you very much i appreciate that so knowing that i've got anywhere between now to about 30 years left to go in my life knowing that the washington football team will never make it to a super bowl will never be Super Bowl contenders, will never be an elite franchise, will never be really relevant again in the NFL, kind of saddens me, kind of gets me in a little bit of a depressing mood. Love football. Football is along the same lines as like my Halle Berry, my Layla Rochon, my Monica Bellucci in terms of the love that I have for sports kind of like my second wife, the NFL right behind the NBA, which is my life, my wife, like the Georgetown Hoyas, which is truly my sole partner as far as my love of sports is concerned. But very, very short list in terms of the teams and the sports that I I really, really care about. And the Washington football team for the last, I don't know, 30 something years has been right up there in terms of the team that I really, really care about, that I really, really want to see do well. I put a lot of passion into. And to know now, after hearing this news concerning the football team, knowing now that as long as this person is now in charge of the entire operation, knows that we're not going to make it to the Super Bowl. We're not going to win a Super Bowl. We're not going to be relevant. We're going to continue to be a joke. We're going to continue to be an embarrassment. We're going to be a source of of just complete and utter embarrassment as far as football fans is concerned. It makes me sad. It makes me heartbroken. I don't want to go to another team. I don't want to find another team. I live out here in Vegas. I don't give a fuck about the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm a Washington football fan, man. I have been my whole life. But now this news is crushing. What do you do? What do you do? What I'm talking about is the Washington football team owner, Daniel Snyder, he's going to go ahead and buy all the minority sales of the team. He's going to do it for $875 million. Now, the news was first reported by Tyler Dunn of golongtd.com. I don't know if this story has an expiration date in terms of, well, yeah, no kidding. But you know, guess what? We're not talking about the Dallas Cowboys. We're not talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're not talking about the Green Bay Packers. We're not talking about the Chicago Bears. We're not talking about any team of consequence. We're talking about the Washington football team, which outside of Washington, D.C., and maybe some folks in, I don't know, Virginia, maybe some folks in Delaware who are probably more Philadelphia Eagles fans. That Delaware is Philadelphia Eagle country. Maybe Philadelphia Eagle, Baltimore Ravens country. Maybe if you go down to the Carolina, South Carolina, might still have some remnants of fans who grew up watching the Washington football team, but I'm quite sure they're more geared to watching or cheering or rooting for or having their allegiance be with the Atlanta Falcons or be with the uh, the, the Charlotte football team. So you know, I know this news might not be something that's going to be leading off SportsCenter that Shannon and Skip are going to be talking about every single day, like. If this was something concerning the Dallas Cowboys. So even though it might have happened maybe a little past his expiration date for me to be talking about it now. I'm going to do it anyway. The Washington football team owner Daniel Snyder is going to gain almost complete control of the franchise after the NFL fan- Finance Committee cleared the way for him buying out his minority investors. There's going to be no breaks on this runaway truck heading over this cliff. Daniel Snyder is going to have complete and utter control of the Washington football team. The Finance Committee approved Snyder's application for a $450 million debt waiver. All 32 league owners voted in favor to allow Snyder to exceed the debt limit to borrow money to pay off the other shareholders of the team. Snyder only needed 24 of the 32 owners to vote in his favor of the transaction. He got all 32. And, and Mike Florio said, look, man, it's not like Daniel Snyder is the uh, chummy chum chum of all the owners. A lot of owners don't really like him that much or, you know, he's not really an owner's favorite in terms of being in that room. But they all went ahead and said, you know what? Boom. They all did a Republican. You know how no matter how pathetic, how low life, how scummy, how racist. How misogynistic a Republican is doesn't matter. No matter how racist of a bill, no matter how gerrymandering of a bill, no matter how race baiting of a bill, no matter how low life a Stephen King or a Matt Gates or a Louis Gomer or a Dan Patrick, the other one, Republicans no matter what they're going to stand behind their guy, no matter what their thoughts and feelings of them, the piece of shit. The lowlife, the scumbag, the competent evil lowlife that was in the White House for four years. All of the bullshit that he did, despite the fact that his colleagues didn't like him, hated him. They went ahead and backed him every single turn, right? Same thing here with the league owners. They might not, they might not like Daniel Snyder. They might not like some of the shit that he does. They might not like him as a human being. They might not like the fact that he's ruining an historic franchise. They might not like it because, with Washington being mediocre to inept at best, the fact that it brings down the entire league—not not to the point where it's going to be horrible—but Washington is an important franchise. It's one of the original eight franchises. It's in a major market, the Washington D.C. metropolitan area, which consists of half of uh, half of uh, Maryland and half of uh, Virginia. So that region has been heavy toward the Washington football team. They still go down sometimes, the uh, football team, and, and do their thing in uh, Richmond, Virginia. So the fact that Snyder is basically is basically going to have control of the team, which means that Washington is never going to be relevant, that hurts the league. That hurts the league when the Green Bay Packers are no good, when the Dallas Cowboys are no good, when the Chicago Bears are no good, when the Pittsburgh Steelers are no good. Are no good. It hurts the league. But despite all that, and if it hurts the league, it might hurt their pocketbook. Despite all that, the owners are still like, yeah, go ahead. You know, go ahead. and We'll prove this uh, situation where you can borrow more than what we allow to go ahead and buy your shareholders. We'll lend you that money. Well, we'll give you the opportunity to go ahead and borrow that money to uh, buy out the shareholders. Which means that the league won't force Snyder to sell the team. Oh, he's going to have complete control, man. Complete control. If you're like me, and you're a Washington football fan, this this has got to be heartbreaking. This has just got to be the worst of the worst. You know, one of the mi- minority owners who uh, Snyder bought out was FedEx CEO Frederick Smith. He was the leader of the team that uh, forced Snyder to drop the use of its former nickname. Remember that? Because Snyder was like, hey, I grew up as a, you know, I grew up as a blank skin fan and I'm going to remain that. And the tradition's great and no big deal. And Native Americans don't mean much anyway. Native Americans don't buy tickets. They don't hurt the bottom line. So who really gives a fuck if we're insulting them, basically? Frederick Smith was the one who was like, nah, man, you got to change the uh, logo. You got to change the name. You got to change the nickname and all that stuff. He's gone. He was bought out. Other team sponsors, including Bank of America, Nike, Pepsi, FedEx, which owns the naming write to that dump that the uh, football team plays in the Maryland, which is becoming less and less of uh, filled during the Sunday afternoons in the fall and the winter because no one really gives a fuck about this team anymore as far as the Washington football team is concerned. With Snyder running the controls, not like it used to be back in the heyday, they're gone. They're gone. And they were also... Once who came out against the previous name. So not only did you have uh, the CEO of um, FedEx up there talking about Schneider, you need to change the name, but Bank of America, Pepsi, and others. Those were the guys who also forced Schneider to come out and say, look, you got to get it done. You don't really think Daniel Snyder woke up one day and said, gee, you know what? That nickname that we've had forever, ah, you know what? It is kind of insulting and it is uh, offensive to Native Americans. So you know what? I want to try to do the right thing. I want to go ahead and have a moral compass and and, and change the name and take that stand and take that step. You really don't think Daniel Snyder did that, right? The only reason why he did that is because he was forced to. Forced to. So now those guys are gone. (sighs) They're gone. Currently, Snyder owns 41% or 40.59% of the team. With his mother, Arlette, owning 6.5% and his sister, Michelle, owning 12.55%. So it's basically, he's a, he's in charge, man. He's in charge. So for this season, the team is still going to be called the Washington football team. They're still not going to have a logo. This is a joke. This is a clown show. This is an embarrassment. They still haven't yet settled on a new name or logo but they say there's going to be a permanent one in place for the 2022 season. Watch these fools do something stupid and just say, hey, let's just name it the Washington football team. Good enough. <laughs> so this is where we're at. Here on Wendell's World and Sports Podcast with your host, Wendell Wallace. This is where we're at right now. If you're a Washington football fan, you've got Daniel Snyder for the rest of your life. Daniel Snyder is somewhere around my age, which is, how about that? I'm I'm doing what I'm doing and he's a billionaire. God bless him. But, you know, this is this is what we got. So for folks who grew up in my era of watching the uh, Washington football team, from those who, like myself, grew up in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, for those who grew up and had the privilege of cheering for the team with Joe Gibbs, John Regan, Joe Theismann, Art Monk, the Fun Bunch, the Hogs, Dexter Manley, Charles Mann, uh, Doug Williams, Mark Rippon, three Super Bowl championships within a 10-year span. In the NFC East, the legendary battles we had against Bill Parcells and Lawrence Taylor and Mark Bavaro and Joe Morris and Phil Simms and those guys, the legendary battles we had with the Philadelphia Eagles, with Buddy Ryan at the coach and that defense and before that, Wilbert Montgomery and Harold Carmichael and Ron Jaworski and... Dick Vermeil at the head coach the, 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 when the NFC East was the best division in football for us who grew up in that era. For us, we can point to and say, that's the reason why we love football. This is the reason why we adore football so much. It's because we grew up in that era watching those games and being part of those rivals. And being part of that region, living in that region, being part, being inundated of what it means to be a fan of the Washington football team, professional football team, and everything that went with it. How can you not be a huge fan of this football team? I can understand someone who's 16, 18, 20, 25, even under 30, even 30 years old. I can understand that generation looking at our generation saying, man, why the hell do you care so much about that? Piece of garbage team. That team's a joke. That team's a clown show. Why why do you care? I mean, y'all only had, what, Robert Griffin III for one year? The rest of the time? Tell me a reason why I should get excited about that team. What are y'all talking about? It's so much different, the fact that the football fans, the Washington football fans who grew up in the generation I did, and if those guys are still in the area, if those guys still live in that area, And they're trying to pass on their love and their devotion of the team to their youngins. What do you say? Where do you go? How do you do it? Are you going to play Hail to the Blankskins about 15 times? You're going to go ahead and go to NFL Films and let them uh, watch the second quarter of the Denver Broncos and Washington game, Super Bowl game. And watch Doug Williams put on the greatest performance of of quarterbacks ever had in NFL history for one quarter. You're going to go ahead and play the uh, fourth quarter of the uh, Washington-Miami Dolphins Super Bowl game, 1982, where John Reagan's 44-yard touchdown running over a couple of guys to uh, put Washington in the driver's seat for them to win their first Super Bowl. Are we going to go ahead and show your youngins the 1991 Super Bowl with the Buffalo Bills, where Gary Clark was doing some work, where Mark Rippon was superb, where the defense completely shut down. The uh, the Bills took him completely out. Had Andre Risen thrown his helmet on the ground in frustration. Had Thurman Thomas losing his mind and not being able to find his helmet. Are we going to be able to... That, well, that's all we got, right? We've got that. And then what else do we have? Where else can we go? What else can we do? What else are we proud of? The one year with Robert Griffin third a few years ago? Maybe, possibly, yeah. Don't talk about this season where we won the NFC East. Big flipping deal with, what, a 7-9 record? with, what, Tyler Heneke as our quarterback? That's what we're building on? That's what we're high-fiving on? That's what we're dancing in the streets on? That's what we're hoping for? For this squad? In the same era as Patrick Mahomes? I mean, right there kind of guarantees you that we ain't going to be winning championships. We ain't going to be winning the Super Bowl for the next 10 to 12 years. I love Chase Young, but damn... Well, we got Ryan Fitzpatrick as our quarterback. Oh, here we go. Great. Right. I mean, you up there dancing around and talking about NFC East champs, NFC East champs. I kept telling you. I don't give a damn about winning the NFC East. What does this mean? It means we're going to get ourselves out of a position to draft ourselves a quarterback who could possibly help us down the way. It took us out of drafting Trevor Lawrence. Now, Jacksonville stunk out loud, so... Okay, with well, the defense that we had and some of the skill players that we had, okay, we weren't going to go 1-15, unfortunately. But damn, man, I wasn't up there talking about NFC East champs, hip, hip, with a 7-9 record. I don't care. I knew we were going to lose to Tampa Bay. And then the day after that, let's reevaluate and see where we're at. And where are we at? We're at number 19. What exactly can we do with number 19? Where are we going to go with the number 19 pick in the draft? What quarterback are we going to get with the number 19 pick? What capital do we have to possibly move up if NFL personnel are dumb enough to let Justin Fields slip? He ain't going to go, Justin Fields ain't sliding down to the 19th pick. This ain't 1983 with the Miami Dolphins. This ain't Aaron Rodgers slipping to the Green Bay Packers in this draft. This is not one of those situations. We have played ourselves out of getting ourselves a possible franchise quarterback, Period. Trevor Lawrence, we ain't going to get Justin Fields. We're not going to get Trey Lance. We're not going to get Mac Jones. We're not going to get. So what are we going to? Who are we going to take a look at? The quarterback from Texas A&M or Kyle Trask out of Florida? That's our, that's our hope and prayer. What are we going to do? Where are we going? Now I've heard that Ron Rivera was talking about. Well, you know we're not too worried about the quarterback position as of right now because what you do is you build around and then when you have a team that's good enough to really do some things then that's when you go and get a franchise quarterback look coach I'm not here to say you're right or wrong or or you know say your philosophy on that is messed up or anything I don't know I mean you're NFL head coach you played in the NFL so I mean far from me to sit there and tell you how to do your job but my thing would be like isn't that last piece a hardest thing that you can get isn't in the world of football, when you're building a franchise, the success of your franchise, isn't it starting with a quarterback who is good enough, a franchise quarterback? Isn't that the most difficult thing to get in the NFL? Pass rusher, yeah. Left tackle, yeah. Fill in the other things you can get. And there's been more examples of really great players, impact players who have been drafted late in in the draft, the draft, and in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, maybe at a quarterback, maybe at a linebacker, maybe at a safety, maybe at a running back, maybe at an offensive guard. There's been few examples of quarterbacks who have been drafted late that have gone on to be part of championship teams, elite football contenders. Tom Brady is an outlier. We ain't getting another Tom Brady. We ain't getting a great quarterback in the sixth round. This ain't the 1957 draft with Johnny Unitas. This ain't the 1950s where someone can draft a Bart Starr in round 15 and then have him become one of the most successful quarterbacks in the 1960s. Name me a quarterback recently who has been drafted outside of the fourth or fifth or sixth round that has come in and had major success. You need yourself a franchise quarterback. You most of the time get that franchise quarterback in the first round. Where are we at? What are we doing? Where are we going? What's our plan at quarterback? Because you can ask the Chicago Bears how important it is to have a quarterback who can do something. Because even with a great defense, it don't mean Jack. If you don't have a quarterback, who can play? You can ask the the Los Angeles Rams how important it is to have a uh, quarterback who can play because they had uh, awesome defense. And they couldn't get it done because they had Jared Goff, the number one pick in the draft a few years ago, not being able to get it done. Anybody see that Super Bowl against the uh, New England Patriots, which started the end of Jared Goff being a quarterback that could be considered a, um, a quarterback that could win a championship? Okay, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo that one year with the San Francisco 49ers, but still, I, I, I just don't see it. So was Coach Rivera talking about, yeah, we can build a great team around him and then plug in with a quarterback? Are we talking about drafting him? Are we talking about making a trade for him? Are, are we still, are you still on board? I got to ask you this, all right? Especially now, since he's been in a little bit of legal trouble, that uh, maybe the asking price isn't so much. But hell, despite everything, call me a bad guy, I don't care. But with everything that's going down with Deshaun Watson, if we can get him on the cheap, and when I say get him on the cheap, I'm talking about, you know, second round with a couple of first round picks and maybe one of the players off our defensive line or something like that. But if there's a way that Deshaun Watson can avoid any type of criminal charges, if I'm Washington, man, I'm desperate enough to say, okay, let's talk. Okay, is there any way, well, how much is this going to cost to get him out of the trouble that he's in? How much are we going to have to pay these females off if everything is going like it's going? Because the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, the Washington football fans, we ain't any different from anybody else in terms of we can get if we can get a guy in here who can play, if we can get a guy in here who can win us a championship, we'll forgive some of his sins, no matter how horrible they are. I mean, I hate to say this. But we are talking about the irrationality of sports and fans. And we are talking about a Washington football team that hasn't done jack shit in over 20 years. Cowboys fans, you think you guys are, um, you think you guys are, um, you know, are, are in the wallow, are in the mire of mediocrity. Take a look at us. your arch rivals. How bad we've been. So I'm at a position, at least you guys have Dak Prescott. Who has a six-round pick? Was he, was he third or sixth out of uh, Mississippi State? Okay, he has a chance. He has a chance. Possibly he has a chance, but for the most part, that is not the norm. The Cowboys got extremely, extremely lucky with that. So just, we it to get all the way back to uh, Washington. When was the last time we had anything worth a damn at the quarterback position? And now we have an opportunity to get ourselves Deshaun Watson. I hate to say this. Damn, I hate to say this. But uh, did he rape any of these women? I am, I hate to say this. I hate going down here. I hate going down here. And I know it's wrong. And I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know I shouldn't be saying this, but... Man, Deshaun Watson in the Washington football uniform for the next 10 years. Woo, man. And this is on the assumption that he can rebound from this. And he can continue to play top 3, top 5 quarterback for the next 10, 12 years. If we could get a Deshaun Watson... Who can fulfill all the potential. Best One of the best quarterbacks of his generation. Hall of Famer. And we can put him on this Washington football team. For the next 10 to 12 years. Man. You don't think that we can make excuses for what he's been accused of? I think so. That might be the only chance. Maybe in a situation like this, Deshaun Watson and Daniel Steiner maybe they these guys both deserve each other in some weird, pathetic way. But uh that 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 might be the only thing. But we're pick, we're picking a 19, man. Trey Lawrence isn't sorry, Trey, Trey Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence isn't walking through that door. Trey Lance is not walking through that door. Justin Fields is not walking through that door. Where are we at? Where are we going? What are we doing? And now. The situation that I just mentioned, Snyder in complete control, we're screwed. We are screwed. I am screwed. You, you are screwed. (laughs) Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What, what? what? You want to hear some of his greatest hits? Daniel Snyder being owner of the squad? Remember this bullshit that he did under uh, when, when the team season ticket holders who were unable to pay during the Great Recession of the late 2000s. Do you remember that when Snyder did this despite his claims that there were over 200,000 people on the season waiting list? You remember that nonsense? Remember partway through the 2009 season when Snyder temporarily banned all signs from FedEx Field? Very sensitive young man. Very sensitive guy. Anything in terms of saying Snyder sucks, sell the team, anything like that. Any derogatory statements. Not anything with bad language, colorful language, or something that might not be suitable for the eyes of a minor but just anything negative snyder's like take it down take it down take it down you remember july of 2020 when the washington post published a series of articles alleging over 40 women who were former employees of the organization including office workers cheerleaders who have been sexually harassed and discriminated against by snyder and other male executive colleagues and players on the team since 2006 remember that remember that hullabaloo where was the Me Too movement? I needed y'all. I needed. I needed y'all very badly. It was also reported that Snyder had settled a sexual harassment claim with a former female employee for a sum of 1.6 million. The alleged incident had occurred on his private plane while returning from the Academy uh, Academy of Country Music Award in 2009. Remember that. Remember that. How does this man still have a team? How does this man still have ownership? And now he's going to be the Main owner, the rightful owner, the majority owner, we're screwed. So not only are we putting out bad football, we're also making negative headlines, embarrassing headlines in other ways. 32-0. 32-0. The owners voted. And I get the owners are saying, hey, look, you know what? If we go ahead and we vote Snyder out, or we force Snyder to sell the teams because of these allegations, if we set that precedent, well, what is it going to mean for me? What happens if I get myself into some type of pickle like this? I mean, how can we go ahead and say Snyder, based on all of these things, you got to sell the team? But after what Robert Irsay went through, or excuse me, right after Robert Kraft went through with the New England Patriots, with his tryst down at a um, massage parlor in Florida, and you know Jimmy Irsay, some of the nonsense that he's been through with drunk driving and some other things that have embarrassed the franchise in the league. Not saying that those are of the same degree or on the same level as what Snyder and running basically a uh, hostile environment for women for for decades in this situation. I'm not saying that what Robert Kraft did or what Jimmy Ursay has done put that at the same level, but where do we start the slippery slope? I mean, we are we are in a country here where we have people stupid enough to say, we don't want any new gun laws, because if we do, it starts the movement to basically where we're going to abolish the Second Amendment. Yes, yes, we actually live in a country where people are that stupid to believe something like that. You know, the fucking idiots who run and say, the government is going to come get your guns. So if we start passing new laws in terms of strengthening background checks and everything else, it's just a ploy by the far left and the Democrats to eventually come and take our guns. And we live in a country where people are actually stupid enough to believe that well with these owners it's the same thing you know if we go ahead and we start saying that you know people can't be owning teams based on nefarious situations well what's it going to stop from some female coming out and accusing me of something and all of a sudden i lose my team you know who who knows about that so i want to kind of keep that precedent far far away from us so there we go there we go. This is something where you know sport franchises and their owners, who have been disciplined by their leagues, not too many. George Steinbrenner in baseball, he's been, he's been fined or suspended for multiple incidents, multiple times. In 1983, he was suspended for a week after calling the umpire, calling out the integrity of the umpire um into question during a game in 1990 he was what was he he was suspended for what a year or some nonsense like that he was banned from baseball for life by commissioner faye vincent after it was discovered that he uh had planned he had paid a notorious gambler forty thousand dollars to uh dig up dirt on dave winfield concerning his uh charitable contributions or his foundations or some nonsense like that so steinbrenner was initially banned from baseball for life by commissioner faye vincent Until July of 1990, when Commissioner Bud Selig reinstated him in 1993. You have former Cincinnati Reds owner, Schott. Remember? Hitler did some great things. He just went a little bit too far. Then she was reported as referring to Jews as sneaky bastards. And African Americans as gorillas. Remember that? Remember her? She would have her dog Shotzi or some nonsense like that walking around the uh, the grounds of Riverfront Stadium. Remember her? I mean, she had to go. She was finally like, look, you got to give up the team. We all know about Donald Starling and the NBA with the Los Angeles Clippers. Thank you very much, V. Stiviano, for uh, ridding, us, ridding us of that racist asshole piece of shit. You yeah, have former San Francisco 49ers owner, Eddie DeBartlow Jr., 1998, he pleaded guilty to a felony charge of failing to report Former Louisiana Governor Edwin Edwards' $400,000 extortion demands in return for a riverboat casino license. So he was he was uh, told to you know what, you got to step down. You're no longer doing this deal. He was suspended for one season by then Commissioner Paul Tagliabue back in 1999. And he basically just gave it over to his kids and said, I'm out of here. So you know, that's, that's where we stand with the Washington football team, man. And you take a look. You take a look at what Sanders has been all about since he since he uh, owned the team. I've got from now to another 33 years left to go in my life. And the fact that we'll never play in a Super Bowl for the rest of my days here on this earth sucks. Because <laughs> last time Washington won a Super Bowl or played in one was in 1992. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, so we're right there with the Arizona Cardinals. At least they played in the Super Bowl in 2009. The last time they won a title was in 1947. But the Detroit Lions, that's the only team that could possibly that could possibly challenge us in terms of the most in-depth, dysfunctional franchise in franchise history, which spans what? Now we're talking about close to 100 years. We're speaking about now this is being 2021. The league started, what, in the late 20s or early 20s or something like that. So we're looking at around 100 years. So when you have the original 18th, the Washington football team came in in 1933. How many Super Bowls have we won? How many Super Bowls have we played in? We played in, what, four? Something like that. So the Lions are the only team I think that can match us because the last time they did anything was 1957 where they won a championship. They haven't played in the Super Bowl. The Minnesota Vikings have never won a Super Bowl or a championship since they came into existence in the 1960s, even though they made Four Super Bowls under Bud Grant and Fran Tarkington and Joe Cap and the Purple People Eaters. The Cleveland Browns hadn't won a championship since 1964 with Jim Brown and they have never played in a Super Bowl. But I'm sorry, man. As long as Daniel Snyder is going to be the owner of this team, welcome to the Washington and Nepskins, the Clown skins, the Dysfunctional skins, the Embarrassing skins, the Irrelevant skins for now and the near future. I, Wendell Wallace, I am hereby sentencing you to life without parole in terms of being mediocre, in terms of being an embarrassment as far as being a fan for the Washington football team. You want to know what his record is, ladies and gentlemen? Daniel Snyder says he bought the team 149-202-1. You tell me where there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You tell me where there's optimism. You tell me where the glass should be half full. I don't see it. I don't see it. Since his purchase of the team in 1999, they've won the NFC East four times. And the first time he won it was his first year as owner, so he was doing it with Jack Kent Cooke's players and coaches. After that, he didn't win a title until 2012 with RG3, that magical year, 10-6. And, and then in 2015, they won a division with a 9-7 record, Kurt Cousins and Jay Gruden at the quarterback. And last year, they won it with a 7-9 record. That should be an asterisk. Like, we should be proud of that. Are we going to put a banner up there? NFC Division Champs 2020? Just don't just make sure you don't put the record up there. So in his 20-plus seasons as an owner, he's had 13. I'm speaking of Snyder with Washington. 13 losing seasons in his 20-plus seasons as an owner. He's finished last or second to last in the division 16 times. He's lost 10 or more games, nine times as an owner. Where is the optimism here? Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me why I'm being overdramatic. Tell me. Tell me why I should be optimistic. He's had eight coaches in over 17 years. We went from North Turner to Marty Schottenheimer, the old Steve Spurrier. he was a good one, back to Joe Gibbs, then Jim Zorn. Woo, Jim Zorn. When no one else took the job, Jim Zorn, and oh, we'll give you the job. Mike Shanahan, Jay Gruden, Ron Rivera. He's been through a plethora of different type of coaches. All of them have ultimately failed. So it's it's just the way we're just going to be facing dysfunction, embarrassment. And it's bad for the league. I'm telling you here on Wendell's World and Sports the Podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, it's bad for the league to have the Washington football team be this bad. In historical terms, they're one of the original eight members, along with the New York Giants, the Chicago Bears, the Arizona Cardinals, the Green Bay Packers, Detroit Lions, Pittsburgh Steelers, Philadelphia Eagles. We're right there in terms of that bedrock, in terms of that foundation of the greatest league of them all, at least here in North America. It hurts the league when the team is going to be this bad. When you have one of your charter members be this bad. At least with the Chicago Bears, you got the Green Bay Packers. At least with the Detroit Lions, you've got the uh, you've know, you got teams surrounding them that are halfway decent. It's, we're, we're, we're stuck. We're screwed. <laughs> Hail to the dysfunctional skins. Hail defeat. Brave on a warpath. Embarrass all D.C. Wendell Wallace, you have now been sentenced life without parole to dysfunction, ineptitude, and embarrassment. Your partner, your crime, your partner in life, Daniel Snyder and the Washington football team. One, two, three, four... Wonderwall Wall is so glad that you could be with us. NBA, Kevin Durant, KD, came back and played Wednesday night against the New Orleans Pelicans. Looked great against New Orleans. The Brooklyn Nets won 139 and 111. Hey Amen. Kevin Durant, what could he, the man was, I, I, hate, I hate to say the words or use the phrase, the man was born to play basketball. Cause that just seems to say that the hard work, the dedication, and everything he put into it, like somehow, some way that he was just born, he walked out of his mother's, well, walking out of his mom's womb, that would be something. But, you know, I mean, he was born, he got the basketball, and all of a sudden, he became this great, great player with minimal work or not too much work. Kevin Durant, I remember years ago when he was still with the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I think it was the year that he broke his foot, which caused him to uh, miss most of the season or a lot of the season. And they did a documentary. I don't even know if you could find this anywhere. Try YouTube, but YouTube. But um, they had a documentary of him the entire summer. This is when him and Westbrook were still still really cool, and he was pretty much a fixture in the community in Oklahoma City in terms of the uh, you know establishment where the NBA, LeBron, Cleveland, KD, Oklahoma City, Lillard, Portland. You know, one of them type of deals. So it kind of. Um, they kind of recorded or they filmed him throughout his entire summer and the amount of work and the amount of energy and the amount of dedication and the amount of sweat and equity that he put into uh, his game. It's like, no wonder Kevin Durant can do what he can do. You, You put just God given talent of being close to seven feet tall with a, Wingspan which is ridiculous, and the ability to be having the talent to be able to put the ball on the floor and be able to shoot it and do the things that he can do if you put in the maximum amount of effort. It's just amazing. And you took a look at that um, documentary, and you're like, man, no wonder this guy is so great. Uh, you, you, you put that type of talent that he has with his work ethic, and that's the reason why you've got, in my opinion, one of the greatest, what, 10, 12 players who ever played the game when everything is all said and done. I mean, I hate to compare Kevin Durant with Larry Bird because we're talking about do, two different eras and Larry Bird was a genius in the way that he played basketball. And you could say that Larry Bird was more of a all, more all-around more all player if you take into totality his ability to think the game, his ability to pass, his ability to shoot, um, his ability to do all those type of things. I think scoring-wise, Durant is better than Bird in that area. But we're talking about two completely different eras, and it's unfair to both KD and Larry Byrd to say which one is better. They both belong at the table in terms of the greatest small forwards who's ever played, along with Rick Barry and along with Elgin Baylor and along with – I don't even know where you put LeB- – LeBron James is just a goddamn basketball player. I don't even know what position. He's positionless. But, um, you know, as far as small forwards are concerned in the game of basketball – That's where I think, you know, I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to sit there and say which one is better. I'll let those guys figure it out. They know much more about that than I do. So I think for the discussion, Rick Berry, Larry Byrne, Elgin Baylor, God rest his soul, and Kevin Durant are the greatest small forwards in NBA history. But just... Again, I was just getting back to the fact that here was a guy who returned from a 23-game absence because of a hamstring injury. Here was a guy who the year before missed the entire year because of an Achilles tear, and he came out before the hamstring injury, and he was playing at an MVP level, and he comes back in his first game minutes restriction against the Pelicans. He puts up 17 points on 5 of 5 shooting, came in, as I mentioned before, came off the bench with about seven and a half minutes left to go in the uh, second quarter. And by the time the period ended, the Nets had 79 points were, and were ahead by 20. And New Orleans is playing well. Zion Williams, my bad. I remember doing the podcast early on in the season where I was talking about, I don't know, man, Zion still hasn't been able to develop a jump shot. Zion still is not crashing the boards like I like him to. Zion still looks overweight. Zion still looks hampered by injuries. Not anymore. I mean, he still doesn't have a jump shot. But Stan Van Gundy's decision to put um, Zion at the Point four, point power position, or was it a power forward, point guard position, whatever you want to call it, has been uh, great, and Zion has taken off and has played uh, brilliant basketball. So good, good job with Stan Van Gunny on that one. But the Pelicans are a team that's on the rise, and the um, the Brooklyn Nets, on KD's first game back last week, uh, put the smackdown to him one thirty nine one eleven. So. And his first couple of games out, KD's averaging 19.5 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 7 turnovers. A little rusty in that regard, but he's shooting 59% in his two outings this past week. So, you know, KD is starting to round himself into shape on Sunday. This past Sunday against LA, he had 22 points, even though the Nets were blown out by LA And what has to be, regardless of... You know, regardless of LeBron and AD playing or not, that was the best game of the season by the Lakers, 126-101. Yeah, I know James Harden wasn't playing. Yeah, I know Kyrie got uh, ejected. But going on the road like that without Marcus, Gasol, without uh, Kyle Kuzma, without AD, without uh, LeBron and putting up uh, that type of performance, snapping Brooklyn's nine-game home winning streak, yeah, man, that was impressive. Andre Drummond, the third guy or the fourth guy, whoever the guy that came in where the league is howling and screaming and whining and complaining. How did Andre Drummond go to the Los Angeles Lakers? That's not fair. We have to revamp the entire buyout process because it's not fair to the Utah Jazz. It's not fair to the Indiana Pacers. It's not fair to the Sacramento Kings. It's not fair to the Orlando Magic. It's not fair to the Milwaukee Bucks. What? The Milwaukee Bucks traded for P.J. Tucker and they got Austin Rivers? Well, still, it's not fair because these, you know, These guys are, these former MVPs are going to, or former All-Stars are going to the Lakers and they're going to the Nets and they're going to the, whatever, man. He had 20 points and 11 rebounds. Okay, let's see if Andre can continue to do that before I start yelling and screaming bloody murder about how horrible and how wrong and how unfair the buyout market is because it favors the big market teams. So, but he had a good game against Brooklyn. Tore up uh, LaMarcus Aldridge. The other guy who was supposed to, uh, you know, oh, it's unfair, it's unfair, it's unfair. So, I mean, he did a, he did work on him. 20 points, 11 rebounds for Drummond against the Nets on Sunday. Dennis Schroeder had 19 points. All right. So the potential finals matchup, I was hyped. Should have been hyped. You know, originally it was KD versus LeBron. <laughs> well, you know, the potential NBA finals matchup looked like an afternoon weekend summer league game in Vegas. LeBron, AD, Marcus, Saul, Kyle Kuzma didn't play. James Harden didn't play for um, the um, the Nets. Well, so, you know, I don't know what's up with the Lakers, man. I don't know exactly when AD is going to be coming back. They say that you know, one week, he's a couple of weeks away. He uh, shot around before the Nets game. I don't know what he did against the Knicks. I don't know exactly when his timetable is. We don't know when LeBron's going to be coming back. If you're the Lakers, you better be hoping that he gets back very soon. Not just AD, but also LeBron was hoping that Kuzma would return for the game against Brooklyn, but the medical team wanted him to hold out for another game. So, okay, we expect he was supposed to play on Monday. So, I don't know. Gasol's hamstring problems. You know how that started? After he had to play extended minutes against Toronto on Wednesday because Montrose Herald was ejected after two and a half minutes. So, you know, the, the Lakers right now are scrounging. They're scratching. They're clawing. They're trying to keep above water, and they're, like, waiting for lebron to save them it'll be interesting if they do or not the eyes of the western of teams in the western conference they're looking they're waiting they're interested phoenix utah the clippers now with denver i'll get to denver next segment about what happened with them with jamal murray gee whiz man that's oh that's flipping terrible man that's absolutely horrible and their chances i don't i don't know where they I don't know where they go from now, but all these teams right now, Portland, who's still in the mix. Golden State, they're still all in the mix. They're, they're all following the Lakers situation with LeBron and AD very, very closely. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. For the Nets, James Harden didn't play against the Lakers. He had a strained right hamstring. I don't, I, 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 I don't know exactly if, it's a situation where they're just holding them out for, you know, a hamstring quote unquote rest type of deal where it was like, look, man, if this was the playoffs, yeah, James would be out there and he'd be giving it a go and he'd be maybe sixty-five, seventy, seventy-five percent. So this is not a situation. I don't know when you say strained, it's not a torn, of course, so thank God for that. But situation where I mean, what are we talking about here? Is James Harden not playing because of the string right hamstring is preventing him to play? Or are we saying James Harden is not playing because of a strained right hamstring, so for precautionary uh, measures, we are keeping him out? Which I'm saying is that, that, is James Harden not playing because the strained hamstring is preventing him to play, or is this an excuse for him to get some uh, time off? So we'll see. As I mentioned before with the Brooklyn Nets, man, what, what, what happened here against the Lakers in terms of the super team? Because I thought when the Brooklyn Nets lost um, when, the, when the Brooklyn Nets acquired um, LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin, wasn't that supposed to be the super team? Isn't that what everybody was whining about? Isn't that what everybody was crying about? Isn't that what everybody was talking about in terms of how it was unfair? Well, it was. if it was so unfair, if it gave the Brooklyn Nets such a huge advantage to pick up former All-Stars, LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin, how in the hell did they get their asses kicked by the... Los Angeles Lakers, a depleted Los Angeles Lakers squad. So you're, you're trying to tell me that the acquisitions of these two all-stars, LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin, which put Brooklyn to the top, which gave Brooklyn such an unfair advantage because of their location and the fact that those guys wanted to play there. So they go there, everybody's whining and all. everybody's crying. So Kyrie gets ejected, Harden's not playing. That should be well enough, right? KD still has two former all-stars, right? Shouldn't that be a situation where they shouldn't be getting their asses whooped by the Los Angeles Lakers, the depleted Los Angeles Lakers team, right? Shouldn't that be a situation? Shouldn't that be the advantage that the Brooklyn Nets have? Come on, man. For all you guys out there whining and complaining and crying and moaning about how LaMarcus Aldridge was going to tilt the balance of the Eastern Conference, how the acquisition of Blake Griffin all of a sudden made the Brooklyn Nets the odds-on favorite to make it to the championship series and win the NBA championship, for all you guys out there whining and moaning and and crying about that, about how unfair it is, about how now Philadelphia is is screwed, how, um, you know, everybody else in the Eastern Conference is screwed, because, oh my goodness, Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge are now joining the Nets. Boo-hoo. Unfair. Life sucks. Come on, man. Come on. What's your argument for that? I know it's one game. I understand it's one game, but... As I mentioned before, Aldridge was dominated by Andre Drummond. And look, since he's gone to uh, Brooklyn, Aldridge is putting up 14 points a game. But Griffin and Aldridge, when they needed them the most because of the Kyrie ejection, I'll get to that in a second, and James Harden wasn't playing, against the Lakers on Sunday, Griffin and Aldridge, they combined to score 14 points, combined to get three rebounds, And passed for four assists, and they were a a combined plus minus negative 25. Does that scream super team to me? Does that scream all-star Edition putting us over the edge? Now we're going to be the favorites over the Philadelphia 76ers type of deal? (laughs) You know, tell me. Tell me. We'll find out a lot about what's happening with the uh, Brooklyn Nets on Wednesday against Philadelphia. Who outside of maybe Nikola Jokic has the MVP of the league and Joel Embiid? But let me know. Tell me where I'm wrong about this. The Brooklyn's going to win the championship. If Brooklyn wins the championship, it won't be because of the acquisition of Blake Griffin and Lamarcus Aldridge. It's not. Blake Griffin and Lamarcus Aldridge can be contributors in the regular season, but Blake Griffin. For those who are saying that it unfairly swung the advantage to the Brooklyn Nets, how many minutes do you think Blake Blake Griffin is going to be getting a a game in the playoffs? How many opportunities do you think Blake Griffin is going to have to be the old Blake Griffin that I guess you guys think that he is because of the whining and consternation that I've been hearing about this acquisition by the Brooklyn Nets? What, What do you think Griffin is going to be doing? you think Griffin is going to be going back to his... 2014 L.A. Clipper days and be able to jump over Kias? You expect LaMarcus Aldridge to go back to the first couple of years he was playing with the San Antonio Spurs or near the end of his run with the Portland Trailblazers? Are you expecting that LaMarcus Aldridge to come through the door in the playoffs? Are you expecting that Blake Griffin, who only about five or six years ago, was one of the top five players in the NBA. Are you expecting that Blake Griffin to come through that door to start the playoffs, to be in the playoffs in the year 2021? If that was the case with those two, if we were getting the 2013 Blake Griffin, and we were getting the 2012 LaMarcus Aldridge, yeah, I guess I would be kind of pissed if I were to league. But guess what? We're not getting those guys. We're getting a shell of those guys. We're getting those guys who aren't even close to the type of player that they were back in those days. So what is all the whining about? What are you complaining about? What are you screaming about? The Brooklyn Nets are going to win the championship because James Harden is finally going to get out of the funk that he's been in in past playoff performances. KD is going to remain injury-free or somewhat injury-free, and Kyrie Irving is going to have his heart and his head in the game at the same time. And Joe Harris is going to be able to make shots. Joe Harris is another guy who needs to step it up in the playoffs. Because the last uh, couple of seasons, or the last time he was in the playoffs against the Philadelphia 76ers, he was missing wide open threes after wide open threes after wide open threes. That's Those are the guys. Those are the players who are going to be responsible for either the Brooklyn Nets winning or losing. It won't be LaMarcus Aldridge. And it won't be Blake Griffin. So, I don't know what people are yelling and screaming about, again, about those acquisitions. So, I'm really interested in the game. I'm recording this on a um, Tuesday afternoon. So, I'm really interested in the game that the Nets are going to be playing against the 76ers. Because it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with Joel Embiid. So, it'll be be a, a, a good game. But uh, don't expect DeAndre Jordan to be in. (laughs) One thing about the acquisition of LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin, it means that DeAndre Jordan, as of right now, has been taken out of the rotation. Will he return? I'm guessing that if you're in the Eastern Conference Finals and you're playing the 76ers, wouldn't you have to put DeAndre Jordan on Joel Embiid, even if it's for five or six minutes a half? Just something? I mean, where else are you going to go? You can't put Jeff Green on them. You can't put Blake Griffin on him. You can't put Nick's, Nicholas Claxton on him. You can't put LaMarcus Aldridge on him. I don't know. Maybe the, the combination rotation of Aldridge, Griffin, and Claxton playing 15 to 16 minutes each. I, is that going to be the deal? I don't think so. <laughs> Not against Joel Embiid. If, if Embiid is going to be in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference Finals and he's going to be averaging 38 to 40 minutes a game, So for 40 minutes, you're going to have to uh, uh, parse those minutes to the combination of Nicholas Claxton, Blake Griffin, and LaMarcus Aldridge. That's going to be enough to slow him down? Aren't you going to have to use DeAndre Jordan? I would say at least 10 to 12 minutes, right? At the very least? I don't know. I'm not Steve Nash. I'm not the coach. I'm not in practice. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm asking. I'm just asking. Wendell's world in sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So when is James Harden going to return? That's another deal. As as I mentioned before, look, he's played four minutes in April. Now when it's April 13th, not April 31st, but what's the situation here? What's going on right here? I mean, again, are is, is, is this hamstring injury? The New Year, the Brooklyn Nets, and these hamstrings, man. I tell you, I'm very vague very uninformed about KD during his 23-game absence, when he was going to come back, hamstring, when with the hamstring, we'll have KD come back this time. Oops, nope, we're going to have KD come back this time. Oops, nope, we're going to have KD come back the next time. Oops, we're going to – oh, he is going to play. And he's going to play – he's going to come off the bench – and against the Pelicans, I'm sitting there in the first quarter. It's like he's not on the he's, he's he's not on the bench. He's not on the court. What's going on? Oh, he's back in the locker room, warming up, getting ready to play. At the end of the first quarter, still no KD. What's happening? What's going on? Finally. He got back on the courts. What's going on with this James Harden situation? Are we going to be sitting here talking about after tax day? Oops, no, James Harden's not back yet. We're going to be coming after the 21st. Oops, James Harden's not back yet. We're going to get back to the, we're going to go down to the end of the month of April. Oops, James Harden's not back yet. I mean, it's going to be past my mom's birthday on May 6th. Oops, James Harden's not back yet. What's the situation now with James Harden concerning this hamstring? Should we be concerned? Is he resting? What's happening? Mentioned before, I'll mention it again, and I'll say it as long as this season goes on. If the Brooklyn Nets are going to win the NBA championship, it's not going to be the, the most the person with the most responsibility. Concerning the outcome for the Brooklyn Nets in terms of winning the championship is not Kevin Durant, it's not Kyrie Irving. It's going to be James Harden. And maybe the Brooklyn Nets realize that, so again, Maybe it's a situation where, yeah, James Harden wants to be a warrior. He wants to play 82 games. He wants to show the old heads and the old school that, you know what, I'm just as old school as they are and I'm going to go out and I'm going to fight through this and blah, 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 and I'm going to show you what a warrior I am and all that nonsense. That might be fine. That might be cool. That might be great. But the Brooklyn Nets are saying, whoa, slow down. We don't need you for a Sunday afternoon game against the Lakers. We don't need you. On a Wednesday night in April. Against the Philadelphia 76ers. We don't need you to be playing. At the expense. We don't need to be playing. In the month of April. Or the first part of May. At the expense of what you can do for us. In May or June. We need you healthy. We need you rested. And we need you rip-roaring. Ready to go. Would it have been nice to get more. uh, Cohesion. With Kyrie and Katie? Yeah, it would be. But we're speaking about three awesome basketball players. And we're also speaking about three intelligent individuals. And we're speaking about three very intelligent basketball players in terms of the game itself. Quite sure that once everything gets rocking and rolling, if you give those guys like 10, 15 games, they'll figure it out. Now, you can go back to some examples of teams where they've had big threes and the way they started. You saw the first year with Miami with LeBron and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, how at one time I think they were like 10 and 9 or they were 10 and 7. It, It takes a little bit of time. I don't know exactly what the threesome of Paul Pierce and Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett were when they first started off with Boston. I know at the finish, though, they were the NBA champions. Mixed results for each one, but again, you take a look at a player's experience, you take a look at the player's ability, you take a look at the player as far as what the responsibilities are on the team. I think each one of those responsibilities for KD and Kyrie and James Harden have been instructed to them with a greater plume. So I think that uh, in a situation like this, it's not going to be a situation of who's playing point guard again, who's supposed to be taking the final shot, where do you like the ball coming off the screen, uh, wh- what side do you want the isolation on? I don't think there's going to be any any type of uh, dealings with that. So, again, you're dealing with guys who have been in the league. Kyrie's been in the league 10 years, right, at the very minimum? Well, I mean, look, James has been in the league over 10 years. KD has been in the league over 10 years. KD is a multiple-time champion. Kyrie is a champion. Uh, James Harden has been the face of a franchise. Uh, two of them have been MVPs. Kyrie has made clutch shots and been in big moments and played in big games and played with the greatest basketball player since Michael Jordan. So, all of those things lends to the opinion that I have that um, they'll be able to get it together. And the fact that they haven't played together for a large amount of time during the regular season. Speaking of. KD, Kyrie, and James is not something that's going to hamper them in the playoffs. If they lose in the playoffs, whether it be to the Bucs, whether it be to the 76ers, it's not going to be because those guys had not played against each other or had not played with each other. It's because they had no answer for Joel Embiid and they had no answer for Giannis Antetokounmpo. So that's the thing about that. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Interesting situation, though during the game on Sunday between the Lakers and the Nets. Dennis Schroeder and Kyrie Irving were ejected during the game on Sunday. (laughs) So what Schroeder said about the ejection in the postgame, he said that I didn't know at first what we got double technicals when he came up to me. That's the first thing. But after that, I kept asking him what he, speaking of Kyrie Irving, I kept asking him what he was, what he is talking about. Then he kept talking, kept talking, and he, got kicked out or got the second technical. I said, bye. I don't even know if I waved at him. I probably did. He said, this is a referee. He said, you going too because you waved at him. And I didn't even know that I got the first technical with him when he came up to me. If let me see, it happens. I can't take it back. I just try to move forward. Everybody was like, ah, you know, no big deal. As far as the Lakers were concerned, Um, Frank Vogel was like, Hey, you know, I love the spirit. I love his uh, fire. I love his passion. We'll, uh, we'll, 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 will be happy to uh, deal with it. A uh, Patrick Patrick Beverly clone in that situation. Now referee Zach Zarba explained why Schroeder earned two technicals in an ejection. He said this per ABC News. He said after being assessed the first technical fouls, both players were warned against to move on. And so when Irving couldn't stop yelling at Schroeder, he was then taught then he was then asserted his second technical foul and ejected. And after Irving's ejection if you look at the video, Schroeder kind of waves goodbye at him in a taunting manner, and that's why he was issued a second technical foul and ejected. I, I saw the whole hullabaloob. It was nonsense. It was bullshit. They weren't coming to blows. It was not going to be anything. I think Zach Zarba was, you know, kind of like, you know, wanting to let everybody know who was in charge. Zach, you also have to recommend, you also have to know that this is a nationally televised game. This is a situation where LeBron and AD are already are not playing, so the the viewership is going to be compromised. So again, there was no swinging, there was no yelling, there was no antics, nobody was yelling at you, nobody was doing any of that stuff. For you to toss those guys out, for you to throw Kyrie Irving out, can I remind you, Zach, that people come to the arena not to see you? That people come to the arena not to see the referees? Again, if it got out of control, I understood it. But in a game that didn't have James Harden, that didn't have LeBron James, that didn't have Anthony Davis, you're going to kick out Kyrie Irving because of that over that, especially when I'm going to explain just right now why Kyrie was 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 uh, having words with Dennis Schroeder. You're, you're going to uh, do that bullshit? You're going to kick him out? Come on, man. Come on. Again, this ain't about... The NBA is not about the refereeing. No one comes to watch the referees. So thought that was basically bullshit. So that's what Zach Zorba said about the reason why Irving and Schroeder were ejected. We heard from uh, Dennis Schroeder on why he, what his uh, thoughts and opinions were. Irving didn't speak with the media following the game. And he's going to be missing the game. I don't know if he's playing tonight against Minnesota. Of course, Minnesota's game with Brooklyn was canceled because a domestic terrorist known as a police officer killed another innocent black man. But I'll get into that maybe at another time. Maybe at another time. But um, so Kyrie Irving is going to miss some uh, miss some games because of personal reasons. I hope he comes back by Wednesday to uh, play against the... Uh, Play against the Brooklyn. Play against the Philadelphia 76ers, I hope he comes back tonight to they play against the um, Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, I, you know, with Kyrie, who knows, man? Who knows why? Maybe he's not. I don't. I don't get into if he got permission by his by his bosses to uh, go ahead and take some time off. Fine, I, you know. I, I'm not. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not. I don't have a thought and opinion about it. I don't know why he took some time off. Who knows? It could be something. Super serious. It could be something not super serious. What's your definition of something that's super serious is different than what Kyrie Irving's definition of something super serious is. Just like my definition of something super serious is probably different than what your opinion of something super serious is. So basically what I'm saying is is that maybe we should uh, maybe not comment and give our thoughts and opinions about what someone should feel is super serious enough to miss games or to miss situations. We don't know. You don't know. So before we start calling... Um, Kyrie, a pansy, and all this other stuff, let's just kind of calm down and let's just kind of take a take, uh, take a step back. Was anybody here going to be watching the Minnesota game? Was anybody here going to be tuning in to watch the uh, Brooklyn Nets? Okay, so what's the big fucking deal? What's the big... Why are you up in arms about this? So, you know, let's just calm down about that. So, maybe one of the reasons why Kyrie here on Wendell's World of Sports with your host, Wendell Wallace, Wendell Wa- Wendell's World of Sports the Podcast, maybe one of the reasons why Kyrie is upset and wants to take some personal time, is because what is being reported as to the reason why Kyrie was upset and eventually got ejected and got into the face of Dennis Schroeder. It's being reported that Schroeder used a racial slur toward him. And uh, basically what it said, I saw this on Twitter, so take it with a grain of salt, but if we're speaking about a racial slur, this seems about right. It said that all... I said all Dennis said was damn, nigga if you back the fuck up with your breath rocking so Kyrie took that and made it into a bigger deal than it was because he was getting you know fried and he was getting roasted up so i mean okay all right. And then on Sunday, Irving said in his Twitter account that the N word is a derogatory racial slur. Never forget it's foul in true history. Throw that N word out the window, right alongside all of those other racial, all those other racist words used to describe my people. We are not slaves or ends. So, my thing about Kyrie, all right, all right. I, my thing, admit, how long have you been playing in the NBA? How long you been playing basketball? I mean, this is the first time that you've heard that word before. Made on the uh, uh, thrown out on the court. That's the first time you've uh, heard that. You know, in a game situation. Interesting. I don't know why this is the one time that it kind of got you uh, kind of fired up. Maybe because Dennis Schroeder. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, black folks are like. I mean, Dennis Schroeder might be black, but he's German. He's up. You he can't be up there throwing out that word, that, that colloquial term like that he's German he ain't American he ain't a black man he ain't gone through what we've been through what what, what the hell is he doing maybe that what Kyrie got upset about I don't know I have no idea but again I can't believe that this is the first time that someone has called Kyrie that word or he's heard that word uh on the court or in society in general I just I just can't I can't buy it so now the fact that he went ahead on Twitter and made that statement all right all right, that's fine. That, that's cool. That's good, I, I, and I agree with that. You know, I mean, I don't use that word when I'm speaking with others. I definitely don't use that word when I'm speaking with white folks or Hispanic folks, of course. But you know, I have people, my friends, good friends, they and they call me that word. That's fine. I don't use it. That doesn't make me better than anybody else. It doesn't make me more or less black than anybody else. It doesn't make me more or less woke than anybody else who does use it. It doesn't make me more. 100 keeping it real than people who do use that word or don't use that word from the African-American community. It's just a word that that people use. I don't know. I've, I've always been interested. Like, you know, like females will call each other bitches and use it in a either derogatory term or use it as a term of endearment. I don't know in terms of any other... I don't know. I'm asking the question or I'm speaking out of ignorance on this in terms of... I don't know if there is a derogatory word that Hispanics call each other or Asians call each others or homosexuals call each others or what, you know, because it's one of them things. I mean, you know, a black man can call another black man that name for the most part, at least in our community. It's pretty much, you know, the rule of the law in terms of, look, man, we can call somebody that name and you know we ain't gonna be throwing fists you know now if a white man says that to a black man i don't give a damn i don't care if he's a wigger. i don't care if he's down with the brothers i don't care if he's from the same neighborhood i don't give a damn if you're white you don't use that word at least around a bunch of black folks period end of discussion done i don't care what your relationship is done you don't do that now black folks can call each other that that's you know that's that's kind of like the rule that's kind of like the deal and concerning those situations I don't know what it's like in the Hispanic community. I don't know what it's like in the Mexican community. I don't know what it's like in the Asian community. And I know that, you know, there's got to be a derogatory term that, that Hispanics use towards Hispanics to where, like, we can say that about each other, but you damn sure better not let anybody else from any other race come and say the same damn thing to us or else we have problems. So I don't know. I don't know. But what it also points to me with Kyrie is that he's just bored with basketball right now. I think that's everything that's swirling. Him reacting to what Schroeder said, him getting ejected, him taking some time off, him going on his Twitter account and making that statement about that word. I just think that he's bored. I just think that he. You know, if I was the Brooklyn Nets, if I was Joe Psy. If I was Josiah and had a couple of billion dollars, oh boy, that would be one happy son of a gun. But if I was owning the Brooklyn Nets, I, I would, I would kind of like have a situation where I would be like, look, to get the best out of Kyrie, and look, I'm not interested in Kyrie playing 82 games. If we're gonna, I mean, this season is only 72, but you know, normally. If we're going to be doing 82 games, if Kyrie's going to be here, let's just say another five years. Let's just say, yeah, let's just say five years. I'm not interested in Kyrie having to play 82 games. I'm not. I want Kyrie to play anywhere between 60 to 65 games a year. Unless, you know, injuries excluded. But I want Kyrie to play about 60 to 65 games a year. And we need to give him like some side projects of substance to keep him more engaged with basketball in just life. I think Kyrie is this guy to where I think he loves the game of basketball. He loves playing the game of basketball and everything. But sometimes I think, I don't know Kyrie Irving. I've never met Kyrie Irving. So this is just, you know, this is just armchair psychologist here, you know, podcast psychologist here, breaking it down about a guy who he's never met, doesn't know anything about. So, you know, take my thoughts and opinions about Kyrie Irving, his personality and his wants and his needs with a grain of salt. But from the outside looking in and from that uh, perspective and from what I've given you, I just think Kyrie needs to – I think he just gets bored with basketball. I just think that he's a guy who just sometimes might think and is like, I'm just more than a basketball player. I mean, what am I doing here? I mean, for the last – Three or four months. All I've been doing is basketball. Meanwhile, the world's going on, and there's some things going on, and there's racial unrest going on, and they think that I could be contributing more than just putting a ball in the hoop. And I think when Irving gets in that type of mindset, he's just like, eh. you know, Wednesday night in a Wednesday night in Indianapolis, Game Forty-Seven here in February, it just really doesn't uh, move me. You know, a game in March really doesn't move me. That's just okay, I mean, you know, what else is going on? What else am I have what what else can I contribute to life rather than entertaining people by putting a ball in a hoop? What what else can I do? So if I were the Brooklyn Nets organization, this is exactly what I do. I I would somehow, some way try to get him aligned or associated with some of the most powerful black led nonprofit organizations in this country. I would be like, look, Kyrie, you know, I want to introduce you to some folks, or I want you to start doing some things with the African-American Leadership Forum. It's the uh, Leadership Forum is comprised of over 1,500 African-Americans who self-identify themselves as thought leaders, influencers, influence builders, and ambassadors. What they do is they lead volunteers and they give their time and talents and, and treasure to build a just society that works well for everybody. I want you to get in touch with them. And I want you to see what you can do to help them. And if it means that, you know what, you miss a week of games or you miss three or four games because you're participating in some of their leadership groups or some of their things that they're doing, that's fine. We don't mind. You go ahead and do that. You can go away from the team and do those type of things. You know, I would get him in touch with the Black Organization for Leadership and Dignity as a national training intermediary focused on transforming the practice of black organizers in the U.S. to increase their alignment, impact and sustainability to win progressive change. It says BOL carries out its mission through training programs, coaching and technical assistance for Bowl alumni and partners. I would get Kyrie into something like this. I would get him into like the the black, P, the black pack, Black PAC which is an independent black led organization that uses the power of year round political engagement in, in elections for, to change our, our economic justice and political system. Since its founding in 2016, black pack has helped galvanize black voters to the polls, to elect governors, Lieutenant governors, attorney generals, us senators, and state legislatures. That's, that's what I would do with Kyrie Irving. Go join one of them groups, man. And, you know, there might be a situation, well, if, you know, if he gets too wrapped up into this, you might not, you might not get him back. But I, I just think to get the best out of Kyrie Irving, I think when you just put him in a box of being a basketball player and give him the responsibility of just a basketball player, I think he in some ways resents that, and that's just something that he ain't down with. And I think that's a lot of times he might rebel from that. So I would try to see what I can do to entertain, and quench the thirst of knowledge for Kyrie Irving and more than just how many points can you put up, how many all-star games can you play in. And like I mentioned before, his main deal would still be playing in the NBA, of course. His main deal would still be, look, wanting, wanting, to, win, wanting to win a championship. But in a long season like this where I think Kyrie Irving needs more stimulation than just the day-to-day of being a basketball player, if Black Pack is doing some things and you know, they're galvanizing some, you know, some some situations where they're trying to elect governors or lieutenant governors, which he finds uh, important. Go. go. Take a week off. You know, f- go down there. Do some marching. Go to a speech. Go to a meeting. Do that. You know, go ahead and do that. And I think you would get a more consistent um, Kyrie Irving. I think that you would get a, a great player, a more... a well, Kyrie Irving's already great. But what I'm trying to say is I think that, you know, you would get a much more reliable, consistent Kyrie Irving if you did that. Because I, I just think that he's bored. And I think that doing that would offer him great stimulation to uh, be an even better basketball player than he is right now. The greatest of them all the legendary otis redding ready steady go wendell's world of sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us that was way back in 1966 otis took his band over to london england for the program ready steady go and uh, just just went uh just did what he did you know just awesome incredible fantastic if you youtube it They are showing a shot where, you know, a bunch of white kids over there in England are just jamming and grooving, and it's like, they're all offbeat. I mean, they're not even close. They are not even close. The soulful one himself, one of the greatest entertainers of the 20th century, my idol, my hero, one of the guys that if I'm lucky enough to get to the pearly gates, if I'm lucky enough to uh, get in to the club known as heaven, I am going to first reunite with my dad and visit and at least be introduced to my grandparents who I never met because they died before I was born and I guess at that time we reunited with my mom and my family members and then after a little bit of time I want to go check out an Otis Redding I want to go check out an Otis Redding concert in heaven him Sam Cooke Jackie Wilson the four tops with Levi Stubbs man that's got to be something else and I can go over and maybe watch a Biggie concert Maybe go ahead then and watch some uh, WNBA or some HNBA action. See what Kobe Bryant is doing up there in heaven. See what Will Chamberlain is doing up there in heaven. See what Maurice Stokes is doing up there in heaven. Maybe go watch a baseball game. See what Babe Ruth is doing up against Josh Gibson. And maybe that pitching performance, that pitching matchup in the uh, HB, HMBL, the Heavenly Major League Baseball Association, where you've got uh, Bob Feller going up against Satchel Page, And I want to see if, Ty Cobb. Is Ty Cobb going to be up in heaven, by the way? I doubt it. Maybe there was somehow, some way that, uh you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of historical baseball figures who I don't know if I, if I'm lucky enough to live in eternal happiness up in heaven, I don't know if those guys are going to be up there. Don't know if Ty Cobb is going to be up there. Don't know if John Landis is going to be up there. Don't know if all those early owners of Major League Baseball are going to be up there. I know Shoeless Joe Jackson is going to be up there. I know Christy Matheson's is going to be up there. I know Oscar Charlton is going to be up there. I know Roger Hornsby is going to be up there. I know Jackie Robinson is going to be up there. I know Hank Aaron is going to be up there. I know Roberto Clemente is going to be up there. So there's still going to be a whole lot of really great uh, baseball being played up there in the uh, Heavenly Baseball Association. I just don't know if anything, if a lot of those white guys before the uh, 21st century came around. Don't know if they're going to be up there if uh, if that's the situation. But, yeah, the greatest of them all, Otis Redding. Oh, man, that guy is just something else. My hero, my idol. Go, go, uh. See what's happening with Stacks in terms of their history. If you want to talk about uh, what I, uh, my philosophy in life, what Stacks stood for, what Stacks was all about, more than Motown for me in terms of the way I live my life, the way I uh, communicate, commiserate with folks from all different races, places, and faces. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So, speaking about what's happening in the NBA, two of the best teams in the Western Conference played about a week ago in a really exciting game. Hey, memo to the NBA, you know, your product is really good when all of the uh, players that are available to play actually play. If you're injured, you're injured. But load management, go fuck yourself. <laughs> but uh, hey, the Phoenix Suns beat the Utah Jazz in a really good overtime game uh, last week. Um, you take a look at the current standings. As I'm recording this here on a Tuesday afternoon, now heading into a Tuesday afternoon, as a Monday night, the Utah Jazz still have the best record in the league at forty and fourteen. They're one and a half games ahead of Phoenix, three and a half games ahead of the surging Los Angeles Clippers. Paul George, let me tell you something, man. Everybody talks about you know the Phoenix Suns and the um, Utah Jazz, and if the Lakers get Anthony Davis and LeBron James back and relatively healthy, that they're the odds-on favor to uh, make it out of the Western Conference. Let me tell you something, man. If Paul George keeps playing like he's playing, how can you not say that the Clippers? Many people are thinking that the Los Angeles Clippers are that team that uh, when the going is tough, they get going, and the person leading that charge out the exit is Paul George. Well, George has been playing. I think he's been in, he's been very underrated so far this year, and he's been on an awesome tear uh, so far in the latter part, the last eight or nine games. So he's playing like one of the best players in the league right now. If he can bring that over to the playoffs, shoot, it might not uh, really mean too much how healthy Anthony Davis and LeBron James are if they're playing that way. But the Jazz are still in first place in the Western Conference. Now, they lost their first home game since New Year's Eve span of 24 games against my Washington Wizards the other night. Um was it? 126 or one twenty 120, one twenty 126, 121, something like that. Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook combined for 59 points. Donovan Mitchell scored 17 of his 42 points in the first quarter and then took a siesta then couldn't find a shot. Followed up his first quarter performance by going one for 13 yelch until he hit a third three-pointer midway through the fourth But, uh, you know, this was just a lackluster performance, lackluster effort. That's what Quinn Snyder was talking about. Look at the dog days of the NBA right now. Um, And they played a team they should have beat. They didn't beat. They trailed by 17 points in the fourth before trying to make a comeback. But when you're the Utah Jazz, hey, look, we're not talking about the Brooklyn Nets of uh, the earlier of the season. We're not talking about the Washington Wizards as far as earlier of the season. We're not talking about a lot of bad teams who don't play any defense in terms of the Utah Jazz. So when you have a squad like the Washington Wizards, who basically have two players who are able to score in Westbrook and Bradley Beal, and you allow them to score 70 points in the first half while taking only nine threes. So this wasn't a barrage of uh, Bradley Beal shooting threes, maybe a situation where Westbrook gets lucky and hits about four or five threes or something like that. I mean, this is a situation where the Wizards were attacking the rim. With uh, great ease, was scoring at the rim with great ease, and you score seventy points by taking and only and you only take nine threes. Unacceptable, unacceptable. If you're the Utah Jazz now, Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley didn't play because of injury. Clarkson right now is nursing an ankle injury, and Conley is injury management. So it's a situation where yeah, he could have played, but we said no thanks. We'll kind of. We'll kind of keep them sidelined for this game. Not going to read too much into it. No time to set the alarm, the panic buttons because you lost to one of the lesser teams in the NBA on your home floor. But, um, you know, they're still 7-3. and three. Speaking of the Jazz, they're still in first place. They're still 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. Yeah, they lost to Dallas on the road, 111-103. No shame in that. They lost to Phoenix in overtime, 117-113 on the road. No shame in that. They had a good win against Portland, 122-103, and they did what they needed to do, beating Orlando, Chicago, Memphis, and Sacramento during the last 10 games, so the Jazz are holding steady, and the next few games that are coming up, they should be able to beat the Oklahoma City Thunder, playing them at home, then they play the Pacers, and then you have a home and away series against the Lakers. I don't know, I don't think LeBron's going to be back, don't think AD's going to be back, Kyle Kuzma is going to be back, but that's to be a game where, you know, there's to be a series where they should, uh, you know, 2-0, and 1-1 at the very worst. So um, I still think when everything is all said and done, they get through this little patch here that uh, Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz are still going to be able to hold on to first place, even with the surging Los Angeles Clippers. You got Donovan Mitchell, look, he's been averaging 31 points a game, along with four rebounds and four assists in his last 10. Had 42 against the Wizards. It might have been an ugly-looking 42. But as I as I mentioned before, and I know Rudy Gobert, the linchpin of this team, I know that plus-minus when Rudy Gobert is not on the floor compared to when he is on the floor is dramatic. I know all of those things. But the one thing that I will say about the Utah Jazz, and I've been saying it, and I've been saying it, and I've been saying it, And I'll say the same thing about the Phoenix Suns. And this is all centered around the return of LeBron and Anthony Davis. And as I mentioned before, the continued high level of play from Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. If the Paul George we see right now is going to be in the playoffs and have that type of production and have that type of impact and have that type of efficiency, are the Utah Jazz duo of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert good enough to compete with those guys? Not just Paul George and the Clippers, uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers, but also speaking about AD and LeBron for the Lakers. Are the Jads good enough to do that? Are the, is the duo of Mitchell and Gobert good enough to do that? Because you have the defensive impact that Gobert has on the defensive end, his ability to finish around the rim off lobs and and pick and roll with him heading toward the basket on the offensive side of the ball. But when you go to the playoffs and you're playing against the elite and you're playing against a tough Western Conference and you're playing a four out of seven series and you're already playing against teams who know what your sets are, are you going to have that guy? Are you going to have that player who's going to get his buckets who's going to make his impact despite everyone on that other team knows exactly what he's going to do. When the Utah Jazz call this play, whether they're playing the Lakers, whether they're playing Phoenix, whether they're playing Portland, whether they're playing Dallas, they all know what that play is going to entail. They all know what's going to be happening. They all know the action. Just like Utah is going to know everything about what the Golden State Warriors are going to run if the Warriors make it to the playoffs or the San Antonio Spurs or the Memphis Grizzlies or the, um, Dallas Mavericks, so-and-so-and-so. They all know exactly what they're going to be running. Everybody knows what Dallas is going to be running, but the only problem is is that no one is going to be able to stop Luka Dantich. When he gets that high screen and roll and then he gets that switch, you're at his mercy because if you double-team him, he's going to either kick it to Tim Hardaway, he's going to kick it over to Porzingis, he's going to kick it over to a Cleveland, he's going to kick it over to um, um Brunson, and he's going to be able to do some work. You know, no matter what you do with LeBron, he's still going to have the ability to swing it over to hopefully a healthy Anthony Davis and let him do some work. Worst comes to worst, we'll just go ahead, clear half the floor and let AD or LeBron do his work. Do, do the Jazz with Donovan Mitchell have that type of ability to do that to where if they need to go get a bucket, Donovan, go get a bucket. Joe English is not, is not going to do that. Joe English is a great glue guy. Joe Inglis is a guy that can go ahead and get Mitchell and get Gobert and get Clarkston and get uh, uh, Bogdanovich into situations where they can go ahead and and thrive. But Joe Inglis is not going to be a guy who's going to get you 25. Joe Inglis is not the guy who on a seven-game series is going to average anywhere between 18 and 23 a game. That's just not his game. Joe Inglis is a guy who's going to be able, if you're – If you want the best out of Joe Inglis, Joe Inglis is going to be that guy that's going to average 15 points, 9 rebounds, and 8 assists. That's the value that Joe Inglis has. Bogdanovich is a guy who can play off of Donovan Mitchell. Same thing with uh, Gobert around the rim. Offensively, do they have enough? Jordan Clarkson is the other guy who can get his own shot. Jordan Clarkson, even before the ankle injury, was not shooting well. I think he was shooting somewhere around 30-something percent for a long stretch of time. They're going to need Jordan Clarkson. Because he's the only other guy with the shot clock running down. Give him the ball, get out of his way, clear a side, and let him go. And with the Jazz, who have now emphasized the three-point shot as much as they have done this season, a change of philosophy than other before, On them days where they're going to be shooting 6-for-25 or 9-for-31, are we going to get down to crunch time in a tight game to say, you know what, Donovan, just here's the ball go. And work, and, you know, Andre and the rest of those guys just work off him. Basically, is Donovan going to be able to sustain or come close to the performance he put in the first round of the playoffs last season against the Denver Nuggets, where the only difference between him and... Jamal Murray, with the fact that one guy had Nikola Jokic and the other guy had Rudy Gobert. And as much as Rudy Gobert has been fantastic for the uh, Jazz, especially on the offensive end, uh, Nikola Jokic has the advantage. So for the Utah Jazz moving forward, that would be the question. I still like the ball movement. Still love Quinn Snyder as the coach. Still love what they're doing. uh, You know, what the San Antonio Spurs were doing. Move that ball around. Whip it whip it real good, you know, extra passes, hockey assist, all those type of things. But those are going to be far and few between or less when you're playing in the playoffs. Do they have that guy to get them those buckets? They have it in Donovan Mitchell. We've seen that he can do that small sample in the playoffs against Denver. Has elevated, stepped up his game, has improved the uh, three-point shot during the season. Will that continue once the playoffs happens if... They're fortunate enough to uh, make it to the conference finals, semifinals, and again, they're faced in a seven-game series playing against uh, Phoenix Suns, uh, the Phoenix Suns or the Los Angeles Lakers or the Los Angeles Clippers. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us talking about what's happening in the Western Conference, spoke, spoke about the 40 and 14 Utah Jazz in second place in the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns. How real are the uh, Suns as far as championship contenders are concerned? What's your thoughts and feelings about that? Now, Saturday's victory over my Washington Wizards gave Phoenix 37 wins on the season with a 72-game schedule. That means they'll have a winning record for the first time since 2013-2014 where they went 48-34. All right. All right. Their two best players have been excellent this past week. Devin Booker, who... I would say, you know what, screw it. I would say consideration, mention, honorable mention in terms of MVP is concerned. No, I'm not putting them on the same tier as um, Joel Embiid and Steph Curry and Damian Lillard and, and and Jokic and those guys. But I think in terms of when you're going through the discussion and, you know, during that discussion, when you're speaking about guys who were worthy of being the MVP and, you know, just in an overall view, and you speak about some guys, I think the name Devin Booker should be brought up in terms of, you know, he had a really nice season. This is the first season he's had a consequence, and I think that he's doing well. And I think at his age being, I think, 25 and under, I think he's either 25 or he's just under 25, but this is a guy in the next three to four years that we could be talking about as a potential serious MVP candidate. So in that regard, in the net text, in terms of the conversation for MVP, the mention of of Donovan Mitchell early in the discussion when the guys are just getting around and saying hello to each other and getting to know their names. I want to know your name. The name Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker should be mentioned. But um, yeah, Booker's been playing great. 30 points on 38%, three-point shooting last week. Chris Paul doing Chris Paul things. 18 and a half points, three and a, uh, eight and a half assists. Phoenix has been the best team record-wise in the league after going 500 for the first month of the season. They're now playing great basketball over the f- past six weeks. They're 15 and four. They're nine and one in their last ten, only losing to the Clippers on the on the road the day after going into overtime, and their win against the Utah Jazz. Basically, they ran out of gas. They were playing the Clippers uh, pretty good for two and a half quarters. My question concerning the Phoenix Suns yes Robert Sarver at the owner hmm 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 interesting we all know his history of being an owner about how lousy he's been at being an owner but look I mean he's not out there playing he's not out there making jump shots he's not out there making adjustments so the question then is of course we take a look at the Phoenix Suns their uh, history of futility over the past seven eight years can they then turn it around to uh, be serious championship contenders with a bunch of players who have never been in this situation before. And when you're speaking about DeAndre Ayton, when you're speaking about Devin Booker, when you're speaking about uh, Mikhail Bridges, when you're speaking about uh, Dario Sarage, Cameron Payne, I mean, these guys have never really seen any type of um, intense playoff type of action. Are they going to be able to put it up another gear? I mean, Chris Paul can tell them and, have the experience and lead the way. But Chris Paul is also 35, 36 years of age. He ain't playing 40-something minutes a game and having the impact that he had when he was um, in the playoffs with the New Orleans Pelicans or with the um, Los Angeles Clippers or even uh, later on with the Houston Rockets. That, that, that's not Chris Paul anymore. So, yeah, he can be that guy to put guys in an advantageous position to perform well, get them in their sweet spots, Get them in their uh, area of com- uh, being comfortable on the floor, at the important amount at the uh, important time during a game. But does that mean that DeAndre Ayton is going to come through? Does that mean that Devin Booker is going to come through? Does that mean that Mikhail Bridges is going to be able to hit that wide open three? Chris Paul again can't take the game over, and, like he used to. So that'll be the. Main deal in terms of what's up with the Phoenix Suns. It goes back again. If you're looking at a twosome, a pair, are you really going to say Chris Paul and Devin Booker in a seven-game playoff series? Scares, LeBron, and AD Scares, Kawhi, and Paul George. It almost reminds me a little bit of the Toronto Raptors. When it comes to... Um, um, Kyle Lowry Lowry and uh, DeMar DeRozan. Remember that? That was an awesome of this, that, and the other. But, you know, LeBron was like, yeah, whatever. I wonder if LeBron, with him having AD, take a look up that matchup and says, yeah, I mean, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, they're, they're nice, good players, fun, but you think I'm going to be scared of Devin Booker? was the last time Devin Booker did anything in the playoffs, especially when you go up against me and AD's resume. We're defending champs. We've been there. There's not a situation in the playoffs. There's not a situation in my basketball life that I haven't faced and conquered. What's Devin Booker been What's Devin Booker been doing? What experience does Devin Booker have if we take Chris Paul out of the game late in the game to make somebody else make a play? Devin Booker? What's his resume? Worth the evidence, DeAndre Ayton, worth the evidence, Jay Crowder, little bit, good playoff experience with the Heat last season, making it to the um, NBA Finals, hit some big shots, hit some uh, big, had some big moments, but you're going to rely on Jay Crowder to beat us, the Los Angeles Lakers, the defending NBA champions, with the greatest basketball player of his generation and possibly of all time. Along with AD, a top five, top seven player when healthy in the league, who's already now an NBA champion, so he's had that experience. Hmm. hmm Wendell's World and Sports the Podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Phoenix Suns. Hmm. Here's an interesting point, though. Another interesting question I have for you. We've talked about the Combo of Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Here's another thing I have for you. Can Chris Paul lead a team to a championship? Okay, this is the first time since New Orleans and last season in OKC where it's clearly understood, understood, and accepted that Chris Paul is the leader of this team. There's no jealousy. There's no, well, damn, why is he the leader? I'm the leader. I'm the best player on the team. I do this. I do that. I'm tired of Chris Paul yelling at me. I'm I'm tired of Chris Paul telling me what to do. I'm the man. I'm the, I'm the shit. I'm the Negro on this team that can do some things. Blah, 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 blah. Not like that with, not like that with this Phoenix Suns team. Devin Booker, uh, Sarage, uh, you know, Crowder, all of these guys recognize, understand, That Chris Paul is the engine that makes this thing go in terms of the success that we need to have. We need to follow his lead. When he says jump, we will say how high. When he gets in our asses and chews us out, we are not going to pout. We are not going to complain. We're not going to ask our agent to trade us. We're not going to be confrontational. We're not going to go on the shelf. Because we accept, we respect Chris Paul, what he's done. And we know that we listen to him, that we have a chance to maximize on our potential. The players know it. The coaches know it. The assistant coaches know it. The ball boys know it. Everybody knows it. First time since New Orleans in last season. In New Orleans, they didn't have a chance to make it out of the, uh, the Western Conference because of Kobe in the game. And with Oklahoma City last year, that team highly overachieved. Why? Because those players had no problem letting Chris Paul be Chris Paul. There was no pushback. There were no, you know, eye rolling. There was no fuck yous. And there was none of that kind of stuff when Chris Paul was doing Chris Paul type things. The same thing now with the Phoenix Suns with a lot more talent. Can Chris Paul be that leader? to lead that team past strong squads like the Utah Jazz, like the um, L.A. Clippers and the L.A. Lakers. I mean, this ain't a situation when he was with the Clippers where it's like, well, this is Blake Griffin's team, and you know, Griffin kind of shafted some of the things that Paul was doing and this type of thing, and you had a strong Will coach and a big ego coach and America's blackhead coach and Doc Rivers goes over to Houston. It was James Harden's team. James was going to do what James was going to do, and he was going to... uh you know, and the and the franchise is going to acquiesce. If James wanted to stay in Vegas and party, we're staying in. If James wanted to stay someplace because it was closer to Vegas where he could go party, it was closer to uh, South Beach where he could go party. It was closer to Atlanta where he could go party. Guess what? That's what was going to be happening. Sorry, Chris Paul. I don't give a damn what you think. I don't give a damn what you feel. Your opinion is not warranted or wanted, because we're trying to keep James Harden happy, and this is what he wants. This is what we're going to get. So you can bark and you can scream and you can do all the things on the court. Just remember, when it comes down between you and James Harden, the franchise is going to side with James Harden. This is not your team, Chris Paul. For a while, he thrived. But eventually, he was like, I've had enough of this bullshit. I've had enough of being playing to the whims of James Harden. I want out. I want to go somewhere else. Same thing with Russell Westbrook. So now, with Chris Paul... This is his team. And Phoenix has a pretty solid starting five. in Mikael Bridges, Crowder, Eaton, Booker, and Chris. What's up with that? Is he going to be that guy that's going to be able to elevate not only his game, but elevate the others to get to a championship? Because as I mentioned before, he's going to be the leader. He's going to be the one that the team is going to be uh, looking toward. Does he have the ability does he still have the the ability? Is he gonna be is he gonna remain injury free enough to be able to get him across the finish line and get them to the NBA finals for the it would be the first time in Chris Paul's illustrious career, one of the best point guards who's ever played this game. Wendell's World and Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Man, now for some bad news, man. Sucks, 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 sucks. How are the Denver Nuggets going to do now since Jamal Murray is gone for the season? What's the future going to hold for the Denver Nuggets? Shit, man. Just Not only the near future, but also down the road. The team announced Tuesday that uh, Murray has been diagnosed with a torn ACL of his left knee. and He's going to be out indefinitely. He suffered the non-contact injury. Damn. During Monday's game against the Warriors, the Golden State Warriors. He was averaging, speaking of Murray... He was averaging 21 points, five assists, one and a half steals per game. He had been dealing with some right knee soreness as of late that had caused him to miss some time. But you know, he had been relatively healthy all year, missing just two games until the soreness you know, came up again in early April. But you saw what Jamal Murray did in the bubble last season, where he basically averaged 27 points in six and re- six and a half assists per game. Was the catalyst, was the foundation with the heart and soul of the comeback from the 3-1 deficit down, not just to the Denver Nuggets, but also to the Los Angeles Clippers. This was a guy who was forming a dynamic, dominant duo with uh, Nikola Jokic, both young guys. Jokic is 26, Murray is 24, I mean, you could count on, and especially the way that those guys play, where they don't rely on athleticism, where they don't rely on uber-athleticism to jump over people and go around people, that they had games where they could be really, 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 really good for the next 8 to 10 years. And they still might. They still might. A knee injury from Jamal Murray, an ACL tear from Jamal Murray, is not as catastrophic or devastating as someone who relies on speed, quickness, and athleticism. Murray relied on guile, smarts, intelligent, skill. And those things don't go away with an ACL tear. Your vertical might go down. Your 40 time might go down. Your lateral quickness might go down after an ACL. You don't lose your jump shot. You don't lose your feel for the game. You don't lose your intelligence for the game. So in that case, Jamal Murray moving forward should be okay. But taking a look now at the at the uh present what's going to be happening with the Denver Nuggets currently they're in fourth place in the western conference they're two and a half games behind the clippers one game ahead ahead of the lakers the nuggets have been doing well Won 17 of their last 20 games dropping their last two they got blown out 40 to 8 <laughs> they lost the they lost the Boston on a forty to eight run. Hey Amen. Just one of them things. You live long enough and you play long enough in the NBA, shit like that's gonna happen. And then the, last night against Golden State, you know Steph Curry goes for fifty. What are you gonna do? So you know for the Nuggets, I don't know. There's no you can't claim anybody off the waiver wire. You can't go back to Orlando and say, hey, is there any chance that you might want to give us back uh Gary Harris? <laughs> It's A situation where it's like, hey man, you know, the, the guy's got to step up. You know, Campozzo, Monte Morris, Marcus Howard, PJ Dozier, come on, man, y'all gotta, you know, Shaquille Harrison, who just got to the team, y'all gotta do something for us, y'all gotta keep the ship above water somehow, some way. But I tell you one thing if Nikola Jokic wants to win that, yeah, I don't think that's on the top of his mind or the top of his list, but you know, if Nikola Jokic is going to solidify his um, MVP prominence, or is he going to uh, win that award? Now's the time to do it because Nicole, uh, Jokic is going to have to up his game even more. He's going to have to help out now an undersized and underutilized uh, backcourt. Um, he's going to have Michael Porter Jr. is going to have to step up more. Will Barton is going to have to step up more. You might have to get Paul Millsap out of uh, mothballs and ask him to uh, become a little bit more in terms of what he's going to be giving you. But I don't know what you do. If you're Denver, I have no idea what you do. How much more point center can Nikola Jokic play? And as I mentioned before, without Jamal Murray, that pick and roll is done. That devastating pick and roll is done. So I don't know what you do. I mean... Jokic is at his best, not only scoring what he can do, uh, 25, 30, 35 a game, but you know what makes him so great is his other skills, his ability to pass, his ability to facilitate, his ability to get others involved, his ability to put people in the right places with his decision-making off a stuff, off a rebound, off of leading a break, off a secondary break. Nikola Jokic is a, it's a, it's a basketball savant in terms of that. And he was playing with another savant in... Jamal Murray, and now his sidekick is gone. So he's going to have to rely on Monte Morris. He's going to rely on P.J. Dozier. He's going to rely on this kid, Compazzo. I don't know what you do if you're Denver. Moving forward now, I mean, Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon was in the perfect, perfect role. At that Cedric Sabalas, don't need plays, call for me, and I can still get your buckets type of game. Now he's going to have to become more of a responsibility in terms of offenses is concerned. Now you're going to be asking him to maybe score a few more points to grab a few more rebounds and, and set up a few more guys for buckets because you're going to have to compromise with the backcourt now if you're Denver. And I don't think that's going to uh, bode well when they play against a team like the Clippers and bode well playing against a team like Utah, Phoenix, or the Lakers. So, tough break, man. Very tough break. And it happened late in the game. It's almost reminiscent of when Derrick Rose tore his ACL. Now, he did that in the first round of the playoffs. I forgot who they were playing. But uh, tore his ACL. And the Bulls were never the same. I forgot the team that they were playing. But I know they lost in the first round after being ahead in that series. I think they won the first game. They were winning the second game. And then late in the game, Rose goes up. Blows out his ACL, and that was basically the end of the Chicago Bulls under the Tom Thibodeau era in terms of uh, their ability to maybe win a championship with him and Luau Dang and, and and Jimmy Butler and Noah and those guys. So, you know, you feel bad for the uh, Denver Nuggets, but you got to move on. You got to move on. I mentioned before, Michael Porter Jr., you want to be a superstar? Now's the time for you to be a superstar. Now you got to be that Robin. Jokic just got to be that true Batman. Now we're asking Michael Porter Jr., all of 22 years of age, to be that Robin. How's that going to do against some of the the Lions of the Western Conference? We'll see. We'll see. But uh, Godspeed and get well for one of the up-and-coming guards in the league who I think when everything is all said and done, when the dust is settled, will still be that guy in Jamal Murray. But uh, tough break, man. Really tough break for the Denver Nuggets. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Namaste, wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters, konnichiwa, wassalamu alaikum. as I mentioned before, shalom, que pasa, mi amigos, mi amo, y Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, so glad that you could be with us, bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell's World in Sports, no my name is Wendell's World in Sports, Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, yeah yeah yeah, mm, mm, mm. You know, I don't know, I'll save it. I hate those damn Peloton commercials. They just drive me nuts. They just drive me absolutely nuts. Come on, Peloton. You can do it. You can do it, Peloton. My fucking name isn't Peloton. (laughs) You want to say, come on, Wendell. Let's go, Wendell. We can do it, Wendell. Fine. But stop calling me fucking Peloton. My mama named me Wendell. You call me Wendell, even though I've been called worst. Wendell, worst. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So getting into some college basketball commercials. Just some some of these commercials just drive me nuts, especially with these flipping kids. College basketball news on Wednesday. This past Wednesday, shall I say, the University of Arizona decided to part ways with <laughs> men's head coach, basketball head coach Sean Miller. Mm, mm, mm. Miller has been in Tucson since 2009, led Arizona to seven NCAA tournaments, three Elite Eight appearances. He had some really good teams, some really talented teams, which flamed out offensively in those games in the final eight. But Arizona won at least a share of five Pac-12 regular season championships under Miller. Um, The news was first reported by stadium Jeff Goodman, um, and um, he was the first one to report the news. Should have, should have been done about three years ago, really. Sean Miller should have been gone a long time ago. After former assistant book Richardson was arrested, then charged with federal crimes, wiretapping, telling uh, agent Christian Dawkins that uh, you know Miller bought five star prospect DeAndre Ayton, all of that nonsense. Rally Hawk Hawkins, um, he should have been gone a long. Miller should have been gone a long time ago. And then the NCAA charged the school with five level one violations, according to a notice of allegations released last month. And the program was hit with two alleged instances of academic misconduct, while Miller was in charge for not demonstrating that he promoted an atmosphere for compliance that monitored his staff. So basically, the whole deal was always Miller's excuse was always. I had no idea this was going on. I mean, here I am thinking all of this stuff was above board, and I had my surrogates, and I had my assistants, and I had everybody else doing these terrible things. I cannot believe it. If I knew this type, type of stuff, my goodness gracious, I would have nipped that in the bud ASAP, but I had no idea. Bull. I love it again. Bull. They did the same thing with Pete Carroll. With When things are going well, when things are rolling, One of the things that make the coach so wonderful is he has his finger on everything that's going on in this program. It's his program and nothing gets by this guy and his attention to detail is unbelievable and anything that goes on in this program, he knows. And that's the reason why his program is so successful. And That's the reason why they're winning so many games and they're winning so many championships and they're winning so many conference titles and all of this bullshit, right? When everything is going smoothly and everything is at its peak and at its greatness with these coaches, that's the the one thing they always say about these coaches, on why their program is so awesome and they're winning so many games, right? It's because he has, nothing gets by this man, nothing gets by this coach when everything is going great. As soon as some bullshit comes down the uh, pike, as soon as some shit like this happens when, oh, how about that? The reason why he's been doing so well, the reason why he's been winning so many games, the reason why he's been getting all of these great players, the reason why he's getting these recruiting classes that have been so great is because he's been paying their asses. When that shit hits the fan, it's the coach always goes, well, I had no idea. I mean, I'm just a coach here. I mean, I, what these guys do off the uh, field and off the court and, you know, in their free time and then the summertime and my assistants, I, 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 I have no idea. I have no idea whatsoever. This, that, and the other. Bullshit, man. Sean Miller is the head of the table. He's the head of the sting. The buck stops here. So it's like, you know what, man? Even if it was true that you had your head in the fucking sand while all of this shit was going down, guess what? Those assistants, everybody that cheated for you, are under your responsibility. So you are in part responsible for what's going on. So please. The real reason, as we know, while why Sean Miller was fired had nothing to do with this situation about the allegations and the cheating and the paying and all that type of stuff it had nothing to do with that the reason why Sean Miller was fired at Arizona was because he didn't win enough Arizona just like a whole lot of other major college programs were relied on basketball and football to uh, uplift the community uplift the uh, university to uh, get the university more money to make sure that ADs and coaches and assistant coaches are millionaires the reason why, it wasn't because of the academics, it wasn't because of cheating, it wasn't because of NCAA rule violations, it was because he didn't win enough, which means that they weren't making the type of money that they needed to be making. Arizona had not won an NCAA tournament game since 2017. They haven't made it to the Final Four in the last 12 years, and this season... They didn't even play in the tournament because of a self-imposed ban knowing that the NCAA would be forcing some type of sanctions on the program soon. So they tried to uh, nip the problem in the bud. That's the reason why he wasn't fired. It had nothing to do with him paying DeAndre Ayton or him paying a couple of other recruits or academic fraud or running a program amok. It had nothing to do with that bullshit or committing NCAA violations. Nothing to do with that. So why wasn't he fired before? According to uh, Jeff Goodman, that Miller continued to have support of influential boosters, which made it difficult for the administration to fire him until now. Gee, kind of sounds like, once again, another college program with a big-time college uh, um, uh, 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 program, namely the basketball program, and they're being guided, they're being told, they're being pimped, they're being uh, uh, daddied, by boosters, by big money boosters. And they don't have the spine. They don't have the guts. They don't have anybody at that university to tell those influential boosters to go fuck themselves when it comes time for them to make a decision on the head coach. So they wallow in the mire. They wallow in mediocrity to being good. And then they come to a conclusion like this. So how, how does Sean Miller pay off, fellas? For the athletic director... For the president, for folks who are supposed to be in charge, who had to bend over, who had to bow down, who had to take their pants off and take it from these influential boosters and then in the morning they leave without leaving a note or leaving them breakfast? How did it feel, fellas? Did they use Vaseline? How does it feel now? Because you're no closer to being in an elite power. You're no closer to winning an NCAA championship. You're no Closer to being the power that you were when Lou Olson was running the program. How does it feel? How does it feel to have your dignity taken? How does it feel to be someone's pimp? To be pimp by somebody? How does it feel? To be nothing more than a street walker? How does it feel? Gutless, spoward, uh, spineless, cowardly, non-leadership type of uh, deal was happening at Arizona, if that's the case. Where you have Sean Miller... Clearly breaking laws, clearly breaking regulations, getting caught, and you don't have the guts, you don't have the moral fiber to fire this guy. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So, you know, I what 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 do you say? What do you say? When you win, major college athletic programs will tolerate the means of how you created the success. It doesn't matter. As long as you're winning, we can take guys in here, if we have to pay them, if we have to make sure that they stay eligible by taking bullshit classes, doesn't matter. As long as we win, cheating is uh, is acceptable. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. But please remember, the minute you stop winning, then all of a sudden we're going to make the example. Then all of a sudden we're going to do the, oh yes, this is horrible and this is terrible and we will stand for this and we're uh, we're a, a, a program of um, moral fiber and all this kind of bullshit. well, you know. So, but my question is here on Wendell's World and Sports Podcast with your host Wendell Wallace. When is Will Wade going to get his comeuppance? When are they going to fire that scumbag? When are they going to fire that lowlife? As far as being a basketball, college basketball coach is concerned, if you remember in 2019, Yahoo reported that Will Wade had been caught on wiretap talking to the man at the center of the FBI investigation, Kristen Dawkins, who was a runner and a middleman who worked for an agent about paying, a, paying for a player. This man was caught on tape. This man was caught on surveillance, on a conversation where he was talking about paying a player. Quote, I went with him with a strong-ass offer about a month ago, fucking strong. The problem was, I know why he didn't take it now. It was fucking tilted toward the family a little bit. It was tilted toward taking care of his mom, taking care of the kid. It was like it was tilted towards that. Now I know for a fact he didn't explain everything to the mom. I know now he didn't get enough of the pieces of the the deal, piece of the pie of the deal. Wait, continued to go. It was a fucking hell of a fucking offer. Hell of an offer. (laughs) Especially for a kid who's going to be a two or three year kid. Fuck you, Will Wade, and you still have a job. Fuck you, everybody down there at LSU, scumbags. You guys are just unbelievable. long as he wins. As long as he wins. And then following the Yahoo report, Wade was suspended to refuse to cooperate with the school during its investigation. So can you paint yourself even more guilty? You won't even investigate. If you're so, like, I didn't do anything, what are you talking about? Innocent, innocent, innocent me? So let's go ahead and see what we can do to get to the bottom of this. No, no, I'm not going to cooperate in that. Because if you get to the bottom of it, you're not going to like, I'm not going to like what's going on. So, no, that's fine. I'm not going to cooperate. And the man still has a job. How in the hell do you refuse to cooperate with the school in this investigation into to the program and you still have a fucking job? He refused to sit down face to face with the guy from LSU. How does Will Wayne still have a job? Oh, I forgot. He wins. He was winning. Of course. So instead of doing the right thing, instead of showing a backbone and some spine and saying, you know what? You're going to refuse to cooperate. Guess what? We're going to cooperate by firing your ass. I don't know what those laws are down in, um, L.A., down in Louisiana, right to work state. I don't know exactly what it is, but you know what? Have Will wait, sue and try to get his money or do something. Go ahead. If he's going to refuse to cooperate with the investigation into the program, yeah, take our asses to court. Take our asses to court and see what happens we love it. You think Will Wade is going to do that if he won't even cooperate in terms of uh, with the school and with his own bosses? So eventually, what happened was because he was winning, LSU was like, "Well, okay, we'll 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 reinstate you and you'll still be our coach, but if you caught if you get caught doing this again, you're fired." Okay, man. What whatever. What whatever. Again, re- three seasons at LSU. They've won 76% of their games overall. They're 38 and 14 in conference play. They won their SEC regular season title. They finished second and third the other years so that will wait with the head coach. That's the only flipping reason why he has a job. Welcome to college athletics. These are the people who are running this shit and trying to tell young folks what to do in terms of trying to get them to be responsible human beings. How did Kansas give Bill Self a lifetime contract after being accused of multiple high level NCAA violations? He signed a new contract, a lifetime contract, five-year deal, which will automatically add a new year at the end of each of the uh, seasons. I mean, and here's part of the deal where one part of the new contract prevents the university from firing Bill Self over anything stemming to the NCAA fighting. So the NCAA could be like, oh, hell yeah, man. You guys, uh, Bill Self was cheating his ass off. And still the university can't fire him because of that. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, I forgot, because he's a great coach. He's a soon-to-be Hall of Famer coach. He won a, a uh, he won a championship for you guys. And um, with Kansas, they've been ruling the Big 12 since he got there. So, that's the reason why they're not going to fire him. You remember the nonsense here on Wendell's World and Sports the Podcast, which yours truly, won the Wendell. Remember the nonsense from Condoleezza Rice years ago on the state of college basketball? Remember that bullshit she had, David Robinson and... Um, Grant Hill and a couple of others, and she was up there talking about, we need to change college basketball. We need to fix the sport. We need to get it back to the way it was where people were playing for the university and they were truly student athletes and the high regard that they need to have for getting a degree. And, you know, the one and done needs to be over with. And that way it'll stop all the cheating and it'll stop all the corruption. Remember that, first of all, Miss Rice, are you just bored? Were you just bored looking for something to do? So you just wanted to throw in your two cents? Don't you have anything better to do with your intelligence, with your influence? Don't you have anything better to do? Like seeing what we can do to help the black community, seeing what we can do to repair some of the ills of the black community, seeing what we can do in terms of that? Do we really have to be concentrating on who makes the playoff in college football and the one-and-done situation in college basketball? Shouldn't your talents which are immeasurable, shouldn't they be lended lend to something else a lot more important? <sighs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yes, we want to go back to the way it was in the 1980s and the 1990s. Okay, I mean, that's fine. That's maybe what she was referring to, all the... Uh, Guys who are into nostalgia, all the guys and gals who are into nostalgia about college basketball. Oh my goodness, I remember the great old days of college basketball back in the 1980s and 1990s where the great college basketball players... They stayed for four years, three years at the very most. And those who stayed for four years, they graduated and they point to Lem Bias and Patrick Ewing and Michael Jordan and Hakeem Olajuwon and Christian Laettner and Tim Duncan and David Robinson and Danny Manning and Grant Hill, Alonzo Mourning, Chris Mullen, Ralph Sampson, Danny Ferry, all of these awesome, awesome, awesome college basketball players, all-time great college basketball players who stayed three years. Michael Jordan stayed three years for Dean Smith. Never averaged 20 points a game. Grant Hill stayed four years. Tim Duncan and Grant Hill were the last of the Mohicans who stayed for four years when they could have been... Tim Duncan could have been the number one pick in the draft after his sophomore year. And he decided to stay two more years and play for Dave Oldham at Wake Forest. Grant Hill could have uh, been a lottery pick or could have been a high draft pick after his sophomore year and decided to stay four years. You You don't see that anymore. So those great teams that were led by upperclassmen, loaded with upperclassmen, these great all-time teams like UNLV and Georgetown and North Carolina and Duke and Denny Crumb with Louisville and John Cheney with Temple and, you know, Mike Krzyzewski who had Johnny Dawkins for four years, who had Danny Ferry for four years, who had Bob Hurley for four years, who had Grant Hill for four years, all of these awesome players. North Carolina, James Worthy stayed for three years, Jimmy Black stayed for four years, Michael Jordan stayed for four years, Um, Roy Williams Tyler Hainsborough stayed for four years. Wayne Ellington stayed for four years. Ty Lawson stayed for four years. Of course, Georgetown with Dikembe Mutombo and Alonzo Mourning and Reggie Williams and Patrick Ewing and David Wingate and those guys stayed for four years. John Cheney's team, even though they didn't make a Final Four, Mark Macon and those guys stayed for four years. Louisville with um, Dr. Duncan Stein, Daryl Griffith and those guys stayed for four years. Never nervous purpose. I don't know if he stayed for four years, but... I know these, these guys, I mean, that's what they, that's what they love. That's what they wanted to go back to. That stuff ain't happening anymore. It's not happening anymore. Those teams are no longer going to exist. You are never going to have an NBA. You're never going to have a team playing at one time where you're going to have three guys playing on that team that could have been lottery picks the year before or four guys that could have been lottery picks the year before. The last team that came close to doing that was the team of Wayne Ellington and Tyler Hansborough and Ty Lawson of UNC. That's the last time you're ever going to see a team which had three or four guys who the year before could have been lottery picks. You know what? If we take a look at it, the reason why those three guys came back to North Carolina, the narrative was was to win a championship. And uh, I think they got, I think they were embarrassed. They lost to some, I don't know if it was, who did North Carolina lose to the year before? I don't know if it was Kansas or somebody, but the narrative was, you know, there's no way now, After losing that juniors Tyler Hansborough and Ty Lawson and Wayne Ellington are going to leave, they got to come back for their senior year in North Carolina and rectify the wrong and and come back and win a championship and that was their promise and oh my goodness, aren't they wonderful and fantastic human beings and Tyler Hansborough had his jersey retired on senior night and all this kind of nonsense bullshit with that narrative the reason why Tyler Hansborough the reason why Ty Lawson the reason why Wayne Ellington came back for their senior years in North Carolina and not entered the NBA draft because none of those guys were projected to go in the lottery that's the reason why they came back to North Carolina it had very little i didn't talk to them so i'm not i'm saying this out of ignorance but it had very little to do with those guys trying to get revenge to uh, win a championship, it was to come back because they weren't good enough to be drafted in the top 10 or top 12 in the NBA draft. You better bet your bottom dollar that if Tyler Hansborough was going to be a lottery pick, if Wayne Ellington was going to be a top five pick, if Ty Lawson was going to be the first point guard drafted in in that draft their junior year, Roy Williams would have demanded that they leave and go to the NBA draft. He basically would have said, as much as I would have loved for you guys to come back and play for me your senior years, ain't no way in hell I'm going to have the responsibility if something happens to you that's going to affect your draft status. Your draft status is where it's going to be. It ain't going to get no higher. Go. Go. Don't worry. In 10 years, no one's going to remember or no one's even going to care that you didn't win a championship. Don't worry about it. You go make that chicken. You go make that coin. You go start making your millions and start building that generational wealth. Don't worry about it. No one's promised tomorrow. So get it while you can because it's not guaranteed in 365 days. Now, Condoleezza Rice would say, oh, no, 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 Those guys should definitely go back to school and get their degrees because the degree is is so important. The degree is just the gateway. It's just a ticket for you to, you know, have just a wonderful life and make boatloads of money and live out in the suburbs and have a house and five kids and live a wonderful life with a beautiful wife and those type of things. You know, I you know, I, I just I don't know. I I just the whole thing about college sports and college athletics just drives me up the wall when they start saying that bullshit. Oh my goodness gracious, hey man, college sports, especially when we're talking about football and basketball, it's all about money. All about money. And kinda Lisa Rice up there in that same press conference, up there talking about, you know, these folks need to need to uh, resist the temptation of money from these boosters and from these uh, nefarious uh, 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 people who are coming up here and these, these uh, questionable characters who are giving them their money. They have to just be strong. They just have to resist the temptation. Man, woman, who in the hell are you to be telling somebody who's living paycheck to paycheck, who's living in poverty, who are you to tell them that they shouldn't be able to uh, take some money if someone is offering it to them? Fuck you on that one. And yeah, we have folks up here living in poverty, generationals, generation of people, of families who are living in poverty. Now their son has the opportunity to go to college where they can continue the system of making everybody else rich except themselves. How do you think these coaches make millions of dollars? How do you think these universities, how, how their enrollment increases? How do you think the athletic department gets money and you have these athletic directors and these coaches making millions upon millions of dollars. And you're going to tell the person who's responsible for that success for these coaches not to uh, resist to resist the temptation of someone offering them money that could change the life of their parents. Screw you. Screw you on that one. Because let me tell you something. $100,000 to play basketball for one year, $250,000 to play football to be the quarterback at Auburn, how many years is it going to take for someone with a business degree? How long is it going to take for someone with a communications degree to make that type of money when they finish playing in college? To make $250,000, to make $100,000, to make $150,000. It's going to take a what? What? Five, six, eight, ten Ten years? And you're going to tell them to resist the temptation of taking that money while you have these coaches, these grown men relying on these kids to make sure that they ensure that they make their seven and eight figure salary. Man, get out of here. Get out of here. High, re- much respect for, uh, Colonel Lisa Rice, but I don't, I don't, I don't buy that at all. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So the only reason why I'm even coming up with this story, the only reason why I'm even frothing at the mouth and fuming about this is because of two stories about college basketball coaches, one being fired, the other one retiring. Roy Williams retiring, John Miller being fired. And it's like with Roy Williams retiring and and Pete Thamel wrote a very good piece about this in Yahoo Sports about a week and a half ago. He's talking about just like a new wave, like a new era of college coaches going out and some new ones coming in. If you take a look at the Roy Williams uh, generation of coaches, the legendary coaches, the coaches who in the next three to five years could be retiring. Take a look at these names. Take a look at these Hall of Famers. Take a look at these legends. Take a look at these coaches who are the greatest, one of the greatest of their era, of their generation and of all time. Coach K is 74 years old. Jim Boeheim is 76 years old. Bob Huggins is 67 years old. Rick Patino is 68 years old. Tom Izzo is 66 years old. Leonard Hamilton is is 72 years old. Rick Barnes is 66 years old. John Calipari is the baby of the bunch. He's 62. So we're, we're taking a look now to the situation where, man, there's a whole generation of coaches who came up with a whole different type of philosophy and a whole different type of reasons on why to coach who are no longer going to be there. And as much as I love John Thompson and John Chaney and I don't like Bobby Knight, but, you know, the era of John Thompson and John Cheney where, you know, we care about these kids and we want to take these kids as as boys and lead them to men and we want to uh, educate them and we want them to be wise of the world. And, you know, John Thompson with a deflated basketball saying, don't let six inches of uh, air be the controller of your life and all of those type of things, that type of stuff wouldn't work today. A John Thompson or the John Thompson that we know of, the legendary John Thompson, that coaching style doesn't work today. The John Cheney type of coaching style, that doesn't work today. The Bob Knight type of coaching style, that doesn't work today. That didn't work today, and especially with black kids. One of the reasons why John Thompson was so successful was because he could go into a black home in the inner cities all over the country and say that I'm going to take your son, he's going to get a degree from Georgetown University, and I'm going to show him a world that he never even thought of before. And when he graduates from my school, I'm going to give him the tools, I'm going to give him the foundations to be an excellent citizen, an excellent husband, an excellent father. And the black community, parents in the black communities with these kids found that appealing. That shit doesn't work anymore. That doesn't play anymore. They don't care. A lot of them folks, especially if you're speaking about five-star recruits, the Patrick Ewing that John Thompson recruited, the Alonzo Mornings, the Reggie Williams, the Othello Harrington's, all of these guys who in their high school class were five stars, who were top ten. Reggie Williams was the high school player of the year. Patrick Ewing was the high school player of the year. Alonzo Morning was the high school player of the year. All of these guys. Um... Oh, John, John John, Bebe duran all of these guys were highly ranked, highly recruited players. L- those guys aren't going to, as, as of today, a player of that ranking, he ain't going to be listening to John Thompson talking about, yeah, I want you to stay for four years so I can teach you how to be a man. man get out of here with that, Coach Coach Thompson. I want to go to the pros. How quickly can you get me to the NBA? That's all I'm worried about. I don't care about the classes. I don't care about a degree from Georgetown University. I don't care about coming in and you teaching me the ways of life. I don't give a damn about that shit. How quickly can you get me ready for the NBA because I'm ready to go to the NBA yesterday? And all this other stuff that you're talking about, I'll learn along the way. I don't need your help on that one. And that, only, that attitude that only comes from the players, it also comes from the parents. The single mother or whoever can sit there and be like, yeah, I got enough father figures. I got, I got brothers who can uh, teach him how to be a man, even though they haven't done a good job of doing it. I just need to see what you can do for my son to get to the NBA, to get to the NFL as quickly as possible because mommy needs a car and a house. So you take a look at these old school coaches. It's like, man, I don't want to deal with this shit. Oh, and by the way, if I don't get what I want, now I have the ability to transfer after one year. And I'm all for player empowerment. I'm all for those guys moving and doing what they need to do. But it creates a situation, and we always focus on the, on the kid. We always focus on the player. You know who's an even bigger fault than this in terms of the transfer portal being 1,300 uh, players and the player movements and everything? I put the majority of the blame on the parents, on the adults, on the guardians. Because I'm quite sure those guys and those people are playing a huge role and these guys deciding that they want to go somewhere else. And how many times have you heard players who have stayed four years, who have toughed it out and said, you know what? At the beginning, it was tough. At the beginning, I didn't like it. At the beginning, there are plenty of times where I wanted to transfer. I wanted to get out of here. But my mom said, or my guardian said, or my high school coach said, or my... Um, um, adult, that's a big influence to me. They all said, hey man, stick with it. Stay with it. Don't quit. Believe. Work hard. Do all these things. And I did. And I'm better for it. How many times have we heard people say that? And they've referenced their mother. They've referenced their father. They've referenced an uncle. They've referenced a coach. They've referenced a mentor. They've referenced a guardian. To where they said, "Hey, you know what? I don't like this. I'm not getting to play in time. Coach doesn't like me. I don't like school. I want to transfer. I'm not. I'm being underutilized. This, that, and the other." And that adult said, "No, no, 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 no. You stick it out, and you work hard, and you listen to the coach, and you do what he says, and you keep working. And believe me, if you work hard and do all the things, you'll get an opportunity." And they did. They listened to the coach, whether it be Jay Wright, whether it be Roy Williams whether it be Coach K, whether it be Rick Pitino, whether it be Tom Izzo, whether it be any of these guys. And they stuck it out and it was like, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I understand. It's called growing. It's called maturing. It's not first sign of adversity. It must be someone else's fault. Go ahead and run because the grass is greener on the other side. And as young adults, we all go through that. I go through that. I went through that. I was blaming everybody else except myself when I was younger and I was ignorant, and I was immature, and I didn't know anything about what the world was going on in the world. I would say, well, it's got to be his fault. Well, it's got to be that person's fault. It can't be my fault until I grew up and realized that, oh, shit, well, you know, maybe it is my fault. and Maybe I should start doing some things to correct that. Same thing with these kids. So I'm not blaming the kids. It's just a part of growing up. But if you have adults who are nothing more than just, okay, okay, or even those who are looking after themselves, these adults who are looking after themselves because, yeah, you know what, I'm needing for my son to get into the NFL or get into the NBA. He's not doing it fast enough, so because of that, he needs to go somewhere else. Matt McClung is transferring again. He's trying to make it to the NBA again, even though he's not listed on anybody's draft, uh, draft boards. Mac McClung could have been a first-team all Biggie selection for Georgetown and playing under coach Patrick Ewing, have the resources to optimize his opportunities to make the NBA. But because he wanted more exposure, because he wanted to be on TV a little bit more, and thinking that playing for a better team that's on a ranked team would help his draft status more, he decided to go to Texas Tech and become the same damn player that he was when he was with Georgetown. And now he doesn't have a team again because Chris Beard leaves Texas Tech to go to Texas. And now he's either going to go to the NBA, try to go to the NBA, or transfer to another school. So he decommitted from Rutgers. He left Georgetown. And now he leaves Texas Tech. Damn, man, have you ever taken a look and look at yourself in the mirror? And again, where is his father to say, no, man, no, you're not transferring anywhere. You know, Patrick Ewing, we're going to stay at Georgetown. No, look, if I'm a Patrick Ewing fan, I'm a Georgetown fan. But it's like, just think Matt McClung in this situation at Georgetown. If he would have played at Georgetown. He would have been a guy who could have handled the ball. He could have been a guy who would have been a playmaker. He could have been a guy who could have been showing off his point guard skills. And he would have been the main guy on offense, along with Wahhab Wahab uh, at the offensive end. But no, he thought that going to Texas Tech would be a better idea. Well, guess what? You're no closer to the NBA. Your point guard skills aren't any better. You still can't play any defense. You still don't know anything about team concept. You still don't know what a good shot is. And you played and you didn't win a conference championship. You played one more game in the NCAA tournament. And you're no closer to being in the NBA than you were 365 days ago when you decided to leave Georgetown University. Congratulations, Mac. Good job. Sound advice. And for your father or who anybody else who decided to uh, help you along with that decision, good job. Right decision. Way to go. Awesome job. And I can make that, I mean, I'm just using McClung in Georgetown because, you know, Georgetown's my school and this, that, and the other. But I'm quite sure you and anybody else who's close to a college basketball program can make that same example. Kid doesn't like what's going on. He talked to his parents, he talked to his guardians, he talked to people, and they're like, yeah, you know what, for the betterment of you, let's go ahead and um, make that move. They make the move, they find out, oops, you know what, I should have stayed where I was at. And look, coaches do the same thing, right? I mean, coaches, as soon as they get something better, as soon as they get a better opportunity, they're gone. So on Wednesday, they could be telling the kid, I'm here to stay, no doubt about it, you need to come to me, you need to come to my school, I'll take care of you, this, that, and the other. Thursday, the kid commits. And then Monday, the coach is like, oops, got myself a better offer. See ya. So it's a crazy game. It's a wild game. So I don't know. That's welcome to college basketball. So I can see where Roy Williams is like, you know what, man? I'm, I'm, I've had enough. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with the one and dones. I'm done with the, having to re-recruit my team every single fucking day. I'm tired of it. I'm 70 years old. I want to play golf. I'm rich. I didn't get into this the win to be famous and make a boatload of money. That's just the icing on the cake. But, uh, yeah, we're starting to now see coaches, the new breed of coaches, who are getting in there because they want to be famous. They want to uh, do all those things. They want to, uh, you know, they want to uh, make the money. And I think coaches of Roy Williams and Mike Kiszewski and Bob Huggins' ilk and generation, I think they got into the sport. They got into coaching because they love coaching and they love teaching. None of them were thinking about making a million dollars. None of them were thinking about uh, you know, having the um fame and the notoriety that they now have. I think they just wanted to be coaches because they love teaching and they love basketball. So not saying that these young guys don't love basketball, it's just for them, it's just a great way to do something that they love and make a boatload of money doing it. So You know, that's different stroke for different folks. Different world for the boys and girls. All right, I'm out of here. You know what? I'm going to save my WrestleMania talk for next time. I'm out of here. I'm going to uh, save some of that because I got another podcast that I want to do in the next 48 to 72 hours. So, yeah, that's exactly what I... What am i am going to do? Still going to keep working. Still going to keep uh, living the clean lifestyle. Still going to keep exercising. Still going to be cognizant of what I put in my mouth in terms of food is concerned. Don't go there. Dirty, dirty filthy mind. And I'm still going to be able to uh, try to do some things to help pay some bills. So I'm not promising, but 48, 72, 72 hours is basically what I'm thinking about as far as my next podcast is concerned. So I can speak about the art of the wrestling promo. Just think about that one, huh? All right, Wendell's World of Sports. Be good, be kind to each other, love, peace, unity, harmony, music.